0: Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls are diaphragms. I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close. You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand one of my main turkey hunting buddies. He loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today this is the meat eater podcast coming at you shirtless severely bug bitten and in my case underwearless the meat eater podcast
1: you can't predict anything
0: presented by first light creating proven versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt first light go farther stay longer All right, we're in our brand new studio. It's like Phil died. <laughs> I couldn't... I, I When I got in, I, I was so... It was like I was sad, and I realized that... It's like Phil died. I'm still here, I promise. Yeah, but I wouldn't know that.
2: That's true. Yeah, you can't see him behind all Speaking those longers. Speaking from, from beyond the veil. He's like Phil's a, got... Yeah.
0: He's like a ghost. Yeah, he's got like a little command and control center where it was like purposefully set up to not... Like you could You wouldn't even know... Even right now, sitting here looking for him, I wouldn't know he's in here. <laughs> it's like it's like
2: the Wizard of Oz. Just pay no attention to the man behind the curtain.
0: Cal suggested we get like a heart rate monitor up on the wall above Phil.
3: <laughs> so we
0: can at least see his vitals.
3: And <laughs> I think Steve would have some fun games with that. That would be very confusing to the listener. Yeah. Just trying to see how he can spike poor Phil's heart rate back there.
0: <laughs> man, one time I had I was doing this, uh, this life insurance policy where I had to lay up. Some dude came over and I had to lay on my couch and he hooked me up to a bunch of, he put a bunch of those little stickies on me to monitor your heart rate, you know?
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm laying on my couch and periodically you could hear, I, I could hear my kids fight upstairs, you know? And you hear like, Matthew, stop it. Right. And I, and I'm, and I had to be on this thing for 20 minutes. And I asked the guy, "Can you see that?" He goes, "Oh yeah." <laughs> he nice. goes, "Every time that like when those kids make that stop it noise, nice." It takes a toll on you, man. Yeah, having kids I bet. slowly kills you. <laughs> um, but back, to Phil, he, Phil, why you got it wrapped up in black blankets and stuff back there?
2: That's another temporary solution, Steve. Um, it's, uh, there's a lot of cables. I was trying to make it less of an eyesore. I think it might have had the
0: opposite effect. He's waiting on a little coffin. He's waiting on a little coffin where he'll hide back there. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about Phil's going to get a DJ deal.
4: Like a platform.
0: Yeah, because picture... Well, no, DJs don't use screens, though.
4: No, they don't, but they're on platforms. You should, like, you should take a picture of him and... And uh, be like, where's Phil? Mm-hmm. And post it and just see if anyone can can really see that he's back there.
0: It's killing me. Joined today by uh, author and forester Michael Schneider. Do you go like a Snyder? It's, or
1: sh- it's, it's Snyder. You're not like yeah. Schneider. Not like Schneider. Not like Corinne. It's, it's been anglicized from the modern. Yeah.
0: Uh, <clears throat> man, when I got your book, Woodswise, I'm trying to say this in the nicest way possible. I was initially dismissive because I've never read a forestry book in my life. And You're in a big club. Yeah. Like most me, Yeah. Like most Americans, like an overwhelming majority of Americans. I never read a forestry book. And the minute I it sat on my desk and sat on my desk, then one day I opened it and realized how it was structured. It's it's structured in like questions many of which are great questions and it's like it poses a question and answers the question yeah, addresses the question addresses the question and yeah, some of them
1: are unanswerable correct i'm big on that
0: the minute i opened it up and saw that there's a thing why are conifers shaped like cones i was like shit i never thought about that why are they shaped like cones awesome no that's what i wanted that's why i told crim we should have this guy on to, to talk about all the like cause this is great for people's barroom banter capabilities totally Imagine some single fella. Imagine some single fella down in the bar.
4: Everyone go get Michael's book.
2: (laughs) You picturing this? It sounds like my past. Yeah, you're down in the bar.
0: There's a lovely young lady next to you. And you're like, shit, man, I can't think of a good icebreaker. You know? I can't be like, you sure are pretty, because that don't fly. He'd be like, hey, man, did you ever wonder why, uh, you know, Pine trees are cone shaped.
2: That's good, dude. That's rock solid. Put that one in your uh, in your pickup.
3: That's real uh, <laughs> audience specific. I just came back from a, a wedding in L.A. and um, I don't think that would have got you anywhere. <laughs> Been like, uh, let me tell you why your lips look like that.
0: <laughs> no, the uh, so, so we're gonna we're gonna dig in. But t- tell about your job. Because You know the comedy Parks and Rec, you were actually at a place called Parks and Rec,
1: yeah. Forest Parks and Rec,
0: yeah. Did you guys love that show?
1: Yeah, and I got a lot of that over the years, <laughs> you know. Like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, but uh, and uh, so I was the commissioner, um, so that's also fun because you get to be the commish.
0: yeah. You, know? you were a high level individual,
1: well, yeah. Uh, in, in a, you know, big fish in a small pond kind of way, but yeah. you know, um, so I am, I am, as of January 1st, I am no longer the commissioner of the Vermont department of forest parks and recreation, but that's w- what you're referring to. And that's what I was for 12 years. Are you
0: glad about this or sad about this? It was my choice. Oh. Uh,
1: there's stuff I miss the good people, the good stuff. The mission is amazing. Uh-huh. Credible staff of professional foresters, biologists, you know, recreation specialists, parks, people. Um, but it's heavy to politics and bureaucracy and that, that gets old. And, uh, and I did it for an inordinate amount of time, uh, historically speaking that, you know, I, I served through two governors, it's an appointed position, oh. um, by the governor. Um, you lead a department, um, that has the, it's well named it, with a, a, statutory mission for forest, forest health, forestry. Uh, the state park system, which is really quite excellent in Vermont. And then um, sort of broadly speaking, outdoor recreation. And we're a sister department to the Department of Fish and Wildlife. Um, and so our, ha- our our forests are their habitat, right? And um, <clears throat> so we, we managed public lands cooperatively together. It's a really cool uh, tradition of kind of interdepartmental work. Um, um, and uh, so it, it, it was amazing. I worked... For uh, 14 years prior to that, within the department as a forester and Mm -hmm. as a, what we call a service forester, uh, most states have in a department of forestry. Uh, an arm that includes people who give technical assistance to private landowners, municipalities. Um, And that's what I did. That is like the best job you can have. It's so cool. You're just out with interesting people, walking interesting pieces of land and helping them. You don't have to drum up business. You don't, you're not really much of a regulator. You're just uh, um, facilitating conservation on private lands, which, as you know, in the East is like, it's the majority of the lands. And so, Uh, that's what I did. And that's where the book really came from was just being with people and their fascinations with the woods, their ignorance with the woods, their love of the woods. And then, you know, collecting questions and realizing that I'd answer a lot of questions. And I'm kind of a geek, um, coming from a background in forest science Mm -hmm. in particular and had this thing about, I grew disillusioned with, we produced you know, published peer-reviewed papers that didn't really go anywhere except other scientists citing them and their proposals and their their work. And so I'd left wanting to get, I took a chance at being one of these county foresters with a, a county as a geography of, of an area of jurisdiction uh, to give that kind of technical assistance uh, with a hope that, you know, maybe I can help bring the science to the management of, and stewardship of, of private woodlands. Um, and did that for 14 years and then it, out of nowhere, the an incoming governor, the transition team contacted me and said, "Hey, we're hearing things. We're wondering if you'd like to be the governor's, you know, commissioner for." Who for was the Pol- governor? Then Peter Shumlin, a Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, who kind of who had been in the state senate and was Senate Pro Tem, uh, ran for statewide office, uh, won that election, and was putting a team together. And they reached out to me. I said, "No, are you kidding me? I, I mean, maybe when I'm old." Then, you know, my knees go and I can't roam the woods anymore. And maybe I'll be like wise and then I'll be commissioner. And they're like, we're asking you now. Mm-hmm. And, and I went to, I said, no, I, I don't really, I'm not interested. Uh, and then some, I would call them elders and people in my life that, you know, were, you know, I trust and, and, and have some wisdom. Uh, they were like, you, you got to do it. And so I took a chance. I said, okay. Um, and I, I lasted three terms with him. He decided to not run again. Um, and the new governor, Governor governor-elect Scott came in, he notified all the appointees, which is very typical, you know, you know, please send in your resignation letters. If you want to work in our administration, you're free to, but you can apply just like everybody else through the web portal. Which is what I did, and uh, kind of like really, okay. Was and that was that
0: a different political party?
1: Yes, I, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, oh. totally. He's a Republican. Oh, I see. In. Yeah, that's like, why the, the
0: assumption was you're out. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. pretty traditional. The
1: web portal, <laughs> and uh, so you know I did, and uh, I'm pretty sure I was the last kid picked. You know, like uh, they, they announced all these new appointees and new secretaries of this and commissioners of that, and it was stressful because I'm into it. I'm like super so into it.
0: So you went to the web portal.
1: I went and filled it out, you know, uploaded <laughs> well, my says, resume. So, when it says like
0: current job, it'd be like this job.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little surreal. And uh, like, I
0: feel like I have very relevant work experience yeah, yeah, since yeah. I yeah. have this job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'd like to say to his everlasting credit, he, uh, now they brought me in and, and, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. They had some very tough questions and some concerns because uh, I, you know, you know, into it and had kind of a big mouth and was pushing for certain certain things. Actually, to be honest, it was uh, Corinne and I talked about a little bit. It's like forest fragmentation, the breaking of forest into smaller and smaller pieces to the point where they become non-functional as forest and habitat and connected yeah. lands. You yeah. know, and so in our le- statewide land use plans and regulation permits, there's no there's no lens for forests. Uh, it, it, it's a lot of other criteria you have to consider when. When proposing some development, are you going to have an adverse impact on the environment in these various ways? But Forrest wasn't in there and I was saying, you know, they're so important. They confer so much power and strength to our state. Um, we should have that as one of the check boxes: No undue adverse impact or you avoid it, you minimize it or you mitigate that. Um, and they they were really concerned because they thought that was – only, the only solution would be regulation, which this governor was very against, taking property rights away from people. These are things that matter to me too. And I was like, no, uh, actually there's an economic way through this. Let's reinvest in the loggers, the workforce, the the mills that are dying and and eroding. Let's rebuild the culture of forestry in our state as our last best hope to keep forest forests, and to keep all of the many benefits that accrue to all of us from these private lands um, flowing. And they were like, Oh. Okay. And he reappointed me and I had another 3-year term with Governor Scott which I'm for which I'm extremely grateful and had to navigate all that, you know, uh, mm. being kind of a tree freak, not kind of certifiable and Not uh, a
0: tree tree hugger or tree freak?
1: I hug some trees, but yeah. sometimes when you, you you need to slap get a, them
0: too, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh you know, but
1: like uh, you know, sometimes oddly when you're you know you're gonna you know, bore cut into one to fell it, you gotta wrap your arms around a little bit sometimes. So it's a mixed bag, right? Yeah. Um but yeah, so you know how to bore cut? Oh,
0: absolutely. I only I recently learned that. Yeah, you need was, you need dude. control.
1: You need control. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was, sure not, I was not into the bore cut, well, Sharp to, chain. where I come from. You're in control you know, whack until the tree huge piece of pie out of one side, and then yes. you come in from the other side. Well, you there. come
1: from a long <laughs> tradition there. Yeah. So yeah, directional felling, bore cutting, the hinge control. It's really cool when it, when you get it and it works. Yeah. It, it, it's a I, I've had so many loggers that I was like, you should go to the game of logging tra- training. And they're like, no, no, you know, I had to do this. You know, pencil neck forester geek over there, leave oh, me alone. Yeah. Tell me my business. And then 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 a couple of them did it, and they were like, wow, you know what? I gotta admit, this is pretty cool. So much more control. You're not chasing the tree down. You're 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 holding that wood together until it's safe and ready, and then flip it off. And when we're
0: when we we're learning it, it was explained to me. We were cutting down a big uh, walnut. Okay. Yeah, and these 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 were like walnut specialists. These guys I was with are walnut specialists, and they're saying on a veneer log. I mean, these guys are cutting like. They're down in the dirt, man. Oh, yeah. They're, All like, cutting it, it down, yeah. like, in the roots. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying, no, you're not going to come in here and that, cut a big, you know, $800 wedge.
1: Exactly.
0: Knee high. And then whatever, you know, they're, like, very precise about they want it zero waste, way down low. I mean, it was, that thing was ready for the stump grinder. Yeah. When they cut that thing down. And they were showing me that little... That cut, which I was like, that can't work. That was slick.
1: Yeah.
3: I went out with uh, steel power equipment, right? And worked on a forestry project example that they had going in Oregon in conjunction um, with some tribal management. And they were doing this really technical felling of... um, They wanted to drop these trees and they wanted them to overhang ever so slightly into the river... In order to provide overhead cover for spawning rainbow trout. Nice. Hmm. And so they're like, "Yeah, you can drop them kind of in the water, but not all the way. But not all the way, <laughs> right?" And it, it like it was a it was a big deal. And these two fellers that they had come out that work with steel all the time, the most painful part of the process for them was doing it slow enough. So everybody else, all the state foresters and everybody could learn from it. And it was just so day to day for these folks, but they're like, yeah, we're going to put like these six limbs over the river. The rest of that tree is going to lay right here. And by right here, we mean, and they walk out and they put a little flag right there (laughs) and they walk back and it's like, okay. And then this happens and you could just tell they're like, let us get on with this. Jeez. But it was amazing. Yeah. Like every tree was just like that. And these are huge.
1: And it's, it's a thing. It is impressive because it's not sort of by chance or they get lucky once in a while. Like they have control and it's pretty yeah. impressive, especially with leaning trees, trees with defects decay inside. They're not structurally sound. They're really unpredictable. And yet people that really know what they're doing approach it with a plan that is real and it works.
3: And I was stand with like the, uh, you know kids with soft hands on the other side of the river and when that tree hit the ground it was like it went through you you know you're like wow that is a substantial chunk of wood yeah
1: no doubt yeah.
0: uh dude I was i don't want to say where i was i was at an event recently where i shook dozens of the softest hands i've ever touched
4: <laughs> like more like real nice to the and point where i started
0: to like anticipate it <laughs> <laughs> if it made it it was like it's kind of like the noise when you shook the hands oh so weird um how are you doing back there phil are you good i'm doing great i uh <laughs> I'm,
2: I, I take offense to these soft hands comments <laughs> but
3: please continue
0: uh we got to touch on a couple of things but i want to get when we come back i want to um i got two things i want i want to ask you about your disappointment about no one getting the vermont honey thing or, or not not honey i get my honey and syrup from vermont i'll point out right on yeah but uh I got a friend that does both. But the the, the sugar business. Yeah. Maple syrup business. And two.
1: Sugarin, we call it.
0: Uh, Sugarin. Yeah. And two, I want to tell you about one time I put a chainsaw into an oak tree and the gallons and gallons and gallons of water. It's, it was like slicing into an old tractor tire how much water come out of that tree. Yeah. Uh We'll get to that in a minute. First, Cal, lay out the corner lay, lay, how, how, lay out the corner. I current. think I think you gotta explain your tractor tire. Oh, in the old days, maybe they still do. Seth will know. They still do. Oh.
3: Well, I thought some guys use, do. They use that sodium, whatever. Yeah, brine. It's brine. A, they call it's it an it brine.
2: Anti- yeah, it's it's just whatever. It, it doesn't freeze. Fill with water or just freeze in the winter.
0: Yeah. We were doing a project one time where um we had to cut me and my brother had to cut a hundred of these little jack pines out and limb them and cut them to length and put them on stickers out in the field, and uh, and we were cutting to get in there and left some little punji sticks, oh yeah, and put one through a tractor tire and I didn't know I was young, I didn't know, and I didn't know that thing was full of brine, mm-hmm. not air, yeah, I
2: I think they used to do a lot more with before tractors were four wheel drive.
0: This was a two-wheel drive Ford. It was a Ford tractor.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What what was it like an A? Smaller.
0: I don't remember. Man had tires as tall as me.
2: Yeah. Anyway, red. The (laughs) Uh, guys I the the guys that I knew that used to do it had two-wheel drive tractors. They put them in the rear tires. It added weight to the tractor. That's
0: exactly what this situation was.
2: More give you more traction and. Um. I think it also.
3: It, well, tipping tra- yeah. tractors
2: over is yeah, real it, it, common it, thing. Yeah, so. l- it lowers your center of gravity. Ballast. No. Yep. Keeps you from
0: tipping over. So anyhow, like that, come out of this oak tree. Um,
2: but it
1: wasn't
0: flying squirrels, because that's no. another thing. Well, listen, man, when I, the house I grew up in had a flying squirrel infestation, but I never had flying squirrels come out of a tree. Had them come out of my house, bad. <laughs> Especially one time we came up and, and got on an extension ladder and started dropping mothballs down into a hole in the cedar siding. Twenty four flying squirrels. I one
2: time was sitting in a tree stand in New Jersey, and I'm sitting there dark waiting for the sun to come up, and it's just gets, it's like that gray light, and all of a sudden you like called the cold gray light of dawn. something like whizzes past my head and smacks the tree and runs up, and it's like one of those deals you're like holy shit like what was that. And then, like, a couple seconds later, another one. Wham! <laughs> and I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Here it was flying squirrels, like, soaring into the tree that I was sitting on. And it was they were, like, landing on the tree and then running up the tree. Yeah. And there was, I don't know, probably a dozen of them that did that. And he like, hit the tree that I was sitting on and ran up to
0: the top. They don't get enough credit for how cool they are. Right. Yeah. Totally. you. When I was a kid, you could turn. We had a bird feeder outside the kitchen window, like, on the sill of the kitchen window. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'd turn the light on at night in the kitchen, and it'll illuminate that thing. And, like, the last thing you're expecting is a bunch of little squirrels sitting there eating like, <laughs> flying
3: squirrels. That's an interesting waterfowl kind of comparison that you had there. Like, you could start a new little uh, hunting club, right, where you, like, identify the mast tree that those flying squirrels are going to in the morning. Oh, and yeah. And you go and set up. Yeah. Wait for them to fly in. <laughs> oh, All
0: right, corner crossing. We've covered it to the Dickens. And it might not, it's just a long story. It's like, like, let's say you're the news. You don't apologize every time you cover the president. You don't be like, oh my God, here we are talking about the president again.
4: And it's a big deal.
0: It just, it never ends. It just continues to run. So the corner crossing deal, and and I don't even know, like, if you're the news and you report on the president every day, you don't need to give back, you don't need to go like, uh, so there's this country, the U.S., (laughs) and they have executively they have they have a triumph uh triumvirate what's the word i don't know executive judicial
4: whatever basically tri- yeah you're like branch. this is
0: united states of america they have a judicial system uh they have a congressional system and a, an executive leadership system and it's a triumvirate um check system of checks and balances and so that feller yesterday right you don't need to do all that um so the Wyoming corner crossing case, if you're not familiar, I don't know what to tell you. you just go ask go back and Shit listen to all. Let's just go back Do and listen. Research. Go back and listen to all up in your airspace or that was an episode. Yeah, that
4: was one. And or or was
0: go back one. and listen to busted for touching air. Yes. Yes. Listen to that or read all the articles on the website, or read all the articles at the and and and
3: Cal's going to take it away. Thank you, Steve. So Over I- to you, Cal? I, I want to. Uh, we're going to go off of this assumption that everybody knows what we're talking about for the most part, and then I just want to hit on a couple of parts that I think people need to focus on and pay attention to because this is what is going to be brought up again and be central to the case going forward. Can I so, interrupt you for a second? Yes.
0: You know we're having a forester round right now. Yes. Can you imagine the tension that Doug Dern is feeling right now? <laughs> He's holding his phone. He doesn't know what he's going to write in about. But as soon as that some bitch makes a mistake, he doesn't know what he's going to complain about to me yet, but he's ready. Or what he's going to fact check. (laughs) He's ready. That's not what we call that. (laughs) He probably got off his tractor and he's ready for something to be like, well, that's not quite how I'd put it. But, anyways, go on, Cal.
3: A lot of woodlot managers out there yeah.
0: the minute them, you said yeah. private wood private forest I think he like just whatever yeah. he's doing he's not doing
3: and
1: I
0: uh, he's poison ready
3: long time ago chased a lady out to Vermont and did like a eight-month stint in Vermont and there's a lot of foresters doing non-forestry jobs in Vermont that came out of forestry school and just mm. couldn't couldn't find a forestry paycheck, you yeah. know, so, so a lot gonna, of experts out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Lots of experts. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and there's a lot. What,
0: know... <laughs> I'm good friends with one of them. <laughs> there are a
3: lot of experts, uh, on, uh, this case and it's really interesting, right? Because it has to do of course with, um, public and private interface here. So, um, in this case, corner crossing, which of course is stepping from one piece of public land to to an adjoining corner of public land at the intersection of four parcels. I like the old checkerboard analogy. It is a checkerboard, yes. So your
0: public is black. Say, private is red. Sure. And you're, yeah. Stepping from red to red. Stepping from yeah.
3: On on the diagonal. Black to black. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, Four hunters from Missouri use this method to access pieces of BLM land that are in, of course, the other adjoining corners are private land. Um, In this case that we're speaking of, um, this fellow Fred Eshelman's uh, private oasis in in Wyoming called the Elk Mountain Ranch. And uh, Eshelman decided to sue these folks for criminal trespass. Um, and I believe this is the, the civil case. Yeah. They got acquitted for the, on the criminal criminal. This is the civil case that, uh, the idea was it was going to be tried in a civil court in Wyoming, mm-hmm. but it was picked up by, um, the Supreme court. I was like to one point of the out lower how, the, Supreme courts. how the juice
0: got off on criminal and they stuck it to him in civil.
3: Was that on TV too?
0: Yeah. And, the, <laughs> and these guys, criminal,
3: the criminal court's like, "Nah. Eh, you didn't break a law." Because and this will give you like the reason as to why, right? Um Judge Scavdoll, who is the um the federal justice here writes in his opinion, the court finds that there, that where a person corner crosses on foot within the checkerboard from public land to public land without touching the surface of private land and without damaging private property, there is no liability for trespass. Uh, it, very convenient that um, this line is in the opinion because this is kind of where it stands in court is, oh, really? You want to sue? Where are the damages? How do we prove that there are damages to private land? Um, now, didn't didn't just a little bit
0: earlier in another wrinkle in this, the landowner had said the the landowner comes and says, uh, because my because I used to have exclusive access to this public land. And I now don't, I feel that I've lost seven and a half million dollars in land value
3: of land value because
0: I understood my, my ranch to sort of have to come with exclusive BLM access. And now that it's not my ranch feels to me 700 or seven and a half million dollars less valuable and didn't like in some prior thing, the judge bring up, I'm not buying that that that's these guys' problem or that that's that 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 I think you're mixing yes. up like that that how are how did these guys cost you seven and a half million dollars
3: when we there's a a good chance there is a probable chance that we can't determine those damages because it's not illegal,
0: yeah right it's like because it hinges on it being illegal,
3: yes, and it's like you bought a ranch that has this type of land configuration, this checkerboard land configuration on part of it. Um, that's, that's your private dealing and you should, should have been aware of the risks. Yeah. I um, always felt
0: that his gripe was, should it be with the realtors and the lawyers that did the deal when yes. he bought the ranch? Cause he bought the ranch under the, under the, on, someone gave him the impression that he had exclusive access to this and it, and that, Idea hadn't been tested in the courts, and he should have. And someone maybe falsely advertised this. Yeah, but
3: you understand. You've you've listened my strip club analogy, right? No, please. Um. So I bought a a condo. little heart
0: rate meter just (laughs) yeah.
3: uh, (laughs) Also, heart rate
0: meter just spiked. (laughs)
3: Uh, We're gonna have some good background music. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So I bought a condo here in in Bozeman. Okay. It's in a commercial area of town. It butts up to commercial property. It is a uh, at least a partially commercial property in itself, right? You put in the strip club. And the oh, the property behind that directly butts up to my property. Uh was for sale at the time. It's it's been rented in long-term leases for five years now. It just was up for sale again and sold again. And speaking about the future of this property, right, because you're investing in the property, I was like, so the big risk here is this, because of the nature of this changing face of this commercial property that is directly out my back window, if they were to put in some sort of like, oh, I don't know, like Bozeman thing these days of like a wine bar and tasting room like a or... A tomahawk throwing or, bar. Yes, with, Yeah. <laughs> And uh, who knows, like my property value could very well go up. However, if it were to turn into like an ultimately like super seedy, like liquor store slash strip club situation, Mm. my property values would very much likely go down. And this is me, a non uh, mogul of any sorts by anyone's standards. Right. So I find it. Absolutely ridiculous that this particular fellow with his long list of mm-hmm. um financial accomplishments could turn around and be like, Yeah, I did, Well, the real estate agent said so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, never, who's the victim here?
0: Uh, that's a good point. You know what
3: I mean? It's that's like that is part of what you do in your due diligence <laughs> as an adult purchasing anything caveat emptor yes sir buyer beware so hmm so you're pointing to
0: the no liability
3: yeah no <laughs> no uh, yeah somebody forced him to purchase this before he was of legal age and he didn't quite understand the, <laughs> Um yeah you'd have to tell me quite quite the story there so anyway the and, and there's been these previous instances <sighs> The the blue sky scenario here for this whole situation is this guy, Eshelman, would have been like, all right, don't just don't tell anybody that you guys are doing this. I don't want to see a bunch of cars parked here. It's a pain in the butt. There's going to be trash. There's reasons that we don't want people corner crossing in here because you're going to spread weeds around. There's always a risk of fire. We just want good neighbors, mm-hmm. right? You guys be good neighbors. We'll be good neighbors. Nobody ever that hears might have been, about this. That might
0: have been the strategic approach. In hindsight, that might have been a, a the strategic, the strategically sound approach.
3: Yes. Now, however,
0: holy moly. Yeah. You have oh. to wait in line to jump that corner. Yeah,
3: absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's an easy to get tag because it's all private land with very little access. So, you know, now that corner crossing is highly publicized. I guarantee there's going to be more traffic.
0: Yeah, if you're just playing, if, if the landowner's just playing for himself and isn't interested in policy, th- which is probably true, you're right. He should have said,
3: boys, you got me. <laughs> But here's the deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna build a Quonset hut over here, and you guys can park in it. <laughs> and then you come back out to the county road, and you corner cross. Yeah, you okay. let me know when you're gonna be out there.
0: I'll let you know when I'm gonna be out there. And this is just gonna be our little thing.
3: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's the long game. So um, that's some
0: good. In- that's some good insight, Cal. You so, should have brought that up a long time ago.
3: Um, the hit them up on Facebook. Interesting points of this and I'm very much burying the lead here. So obviously we got a a great opinion from this uh, judge and that opinion stands and and these guys aren't going to get dinged with anything in in this particular civil suit, um, which is great. However, it does not mean that, okay, now corner crossings totally legal. There still exists some gray area, but this opinion says based off of several cases. And I found it very interesting that he also looked at cases within the state of Wyoming um, and he didn't cite the Unlawful Enclosures Act, which is a, a federal act. And I thought this is exactly what mm. this was going to be totally based off of. But this judge, which which says that you cannot create an obstruction that limits the public's ability to access public land um so at at this corner this common corner um an agent of eshelman put two t posts and i think a little length of chain right at the corner that was supposed to be enough of an obstacle to where these gentlemen would have had to come into contact with private property in order to get over private property so they went through the I I would say a very ceremonial effort of creating a ladder to go over two T-posts that don't connect to anything, right? Like, a lot of folks could have jumped it, Um, but they did this in order to signal to the land agents that, hey, we are here to do this, and we're going to do this ridiculous thing to show you that our intent is such. And it's not to mess with your, your private property in any way.
0: Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, a, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better. Because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game-changer. There's no more, like, leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To so get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater.
3: $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds lower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
0: Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season... LiquidIV.com, and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER
3: at liquidIV.com. People are really getting hung up on this ladder thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's Brad what you have to do. himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a, a fencing fence maker. Pro- he's a mm-hmm. fence yeah. professional. Yeah. Um, so he's like, it wasn't hard. Um, but people are really getting hung up on on this Ladder and a ladder, like I said, it's a symbol. It's not necessary to corner cross. Wasn't he talking about let us have the ladder? Did we follow up with him on that?
4: Yeah, oh yeah, I'm I'm in touch, but I think that we should uh, sell some ladders on the website.
0: Well, no, but can he? I want that ladder. Yeah, we should. I mean, yeah. we have mm-hmm. the, we got weights and fish.
4: hmm Yeah, leatherman. I know. We're adding to our. You know, we're going to amass so many things. <laughs> Artifacts, that Are, are going to be incredibly valuable at a Sotheby's auction mm-hmm. or yes. our own auction.
3: So uh, another case known as the McCabe, the Uinta Development Company mm-hmm. case back in 1914 uh, is uh, ruling that uh, Justice Scott In 1914? 1914. 1914, yeah. What was going on back then? Well, uh, it is, it's just an extension of what was going on when this, uh, checkerboard system of land, mm-hmm. uh, was laid out. But it so was was
0: probably not a hunting thing. It was probably whatever else, gra- yep, so grazing, mining. Grazing. Oh, this okay. is
3: grazing, right? But just as it is now, it's you know, the landscape changes with new ownership coming in. Mm-hmm. People put up signs or, or three-strand barbed wire fence where it used to be open range. And I think that's what the case was here. So a guy was just moving his sheep uh, to his historic grazing area on public land. Um, the new landowner came in and took issue with that. And um, somehow, some way, I should really read up on this, um, McKay uh, took took his right to access his public grazing allotment um, to the court and won. So that's, that's another case. And then there's a 1974 case from the 10th Circuit Court um, that was cited as well. And again, these come down to um, damages right to access, the public's right to access public ground and um, a new uh, case that just passed here, not case, but a new law in Wyoming um, that clarified some trespass language without, it was kind of an interesting thing because it didn't directly name corner crossing, but it absolutely pertains to uh, corner crossing and proof in, in the pudding here is Justice Gobdahl used it um, where the Wyoming legislature passed a law, um, actually passed this year Um, traveling through private property to access public land. This clarified what traveling through required, um, physically touching or driving on the surface of private property, which would not apply to the hunters in this case. Um, Mm. And so all these little building blocks kind of build up right now because of the, this is a relatively narrow opinion according to uh, a mu- mutual friend of ours who used to be with the BLM is now at the national wildlife federation, but because it, it does lay out like trespassing or walking from corner to corner in the checkerboard fashion versus uh, a corner that's not in the checkerboard fashion, which is kind of confusing to me, but anyway, that's where we're at right now. Um, it's, I think a very positive thing and everyone's pretty much in agreement that this landowner is going to um, appeal the case and, and try to take it to a higher court. So Hmm. uh, it's not over yet. If it's, this is a, you know, these are like federal actions. These are cases that would very well be cited by, Somebody else who is in this legal position um even if it is not in the state of Wyoming, which makes it a national thing so um tons of checkerboard here in montana uh arizona utah wyoming so
0: i uh I got a handful of thoughts that i'm gonna give in no particular order about uh, on this issue there was a a little detail emerged recently where The, the Missouri corner crossers who've been, who were in our, I was gonna say, who've been here, they've been in our old studio. So we had, we had a couple of the Missouri corner crossers on the podcast. Um, they had their on X account subpoenaed. Okay. Which is, is very common. So like game wardens, people, you know, they can, they can subpoena that kind of information and they emerged. Is it being called waypoint number six? Yes yeah so when they had their on x account subpoenaed, here's this waypoint that was made very definitely well, not made. a pin was dropped very definitely on private property,
3: yeah, and these pins, when you drop them are are dated and everything, so
1: you could drop it from your house though, well can't you?
0: that's that's the rub is they can't um you know. You can't say for certain that the pin was created. There was also a lot of, like, apparently a lot of d- deleting of waypoints, but there was a pin that was made very much on private property. And that's been brought up and brought up and brought up, but it can't definitively be said was that pin made by someone who set, who hit mark my location, or was that pin moved or just dropped for whatever reason dropped a pin? over on the guy's place hard to say so that was like an interesting little wrinkle that i was watching and um i think it might be it's like you know like the grassy knoll i think it's like Waypoint point six because there's like
3: we don't i guess i don't know if we need to go in it but like i'm cleaning up waypoints and trying to use folders mm uh mainly so when i'm like showing off stuff on my computer i'm not showing people all the other places i go
0: Yep. Like, um, where, where if I look at his computer, it's like, awesome spot, awesome spot.
3: Right, exactly. Like, you're sitting down at Spencer New Hearth, and he's like, yeah, but what about this turkey waypoint? <laughs> I'm like, we're not talking about that one. <laughs> I'm like, I can't hide half my computer. Anyway, um, so, you you know, there's a lot of general waypoints out there. and I'm like, looking, and I'm like, oh, it's totally landlocked, like, totally landlocked. There's no way to get in there, or... Mm -hmm. now i've been there and that's not actually a county road it's a private road or there's all these things where where it's like i don't know we're gonna head this way here's the waypoint, steve you'll figure it out type of thing right where you're and then there's other ways to do it too where you're like zoomed out far enough to where you're like fat fingering or or you
0: could say like hey i saw a strutter right here oh (laughs) if you get on like but you can get on public and just try to get as close to where I saw the strutter from my car, so then you might have a way. P-
3: I and don't know, there was a ton of that this spring just from me. Oh, like yeah, I'm, I'm just am,
0: saying
2: it's like a, I have a bunch of waypoints like that where they're on private, but it's like I see a turkey here yes.
0: on private, sure, but I'm on public. Well, if your stuff, if your account ever gets subpoenaed, someone might say, What were you doing all over this place, guys' place? Well, they and can, can clarify they can that listen to this podcast. Yeah. You can refer him <laughs> to show. Out. Interesting wrinkle number 1. Number 2, um people keep sitting back waiting for precedent setting or waiting for it to be ta-da, here's clarification. Um but the fact that that, that like the rules aren't being rewritten yet, right? Right. It's just a matter of it's just a matter of even if the law isn't clarified, like if it's not publicly clarified, you know, in in the statutes, it is it increasingly is what prosecutor is gonna want to take this on? And it might be You better that, have
3: nothing going on in your county
0: aside yeah. from this. It might be that the when you go look at the statutes, it might still be confusing, but you would then look at the prosecution history and say, The legal language is confusing, yet no one, and they've sure tried, no one has been successfully prosecuted. So it's like looking for this to all of a sudden, where looking for the issue to get legally clarified, might not happen to anybody's satisfaction. And it might just be inference that when someone says, can I? Because I don't understand when I read the law, I can't tell if it's okay or not. Okay. Or or why does the state recommend against it? What the hell does that mean? And then you'd point, one might point and say, well, here's the history of people trying to prosecute this. Uh, up to you, if you really feel like going through all that, but generally you're, you're like so far to date, no one's been, no one's been hung for it.
3: I, I like to point out also that right now, it's very much a motivated foot access only situation. And I think the longer this goes on, the door gets wider and wider to like, well, I I have a high step and quarter horse. I'll guarantee I can put all four feet from public to public on my quarter horse as we walk across this pin. Oh. Right. Or, you know, the means of transportation, because if you go through the threads and all the talking online about this, it's like well, let's just make an easement on everyone, right? Well, is it a five foot wide easement? Is it a 40 inch easement enough for a, you know, a small trail side by side? Like what, you know, where do we go from here? And, um, you know, again, if I was a, a big landowner with the public interest in mind, and also, you know, all those things that I mentioned of like wanting to protect like good grass stock or be free from worrying about fire danger, all those things. Um, I just be like, let's just, let's just not, let's just, just keep it how it is. Mm. The folks that want to figure it out, they can figure it out. And, and that's just going to be the best thing for everybody.
0: Uh, Uh, number three of my five wrinkles or, or, or things that I'm, uh, That occurred to me as I think about this. Accuracy. Fences aren't on surveyed lines for the most part. A lot of times fences are a guess, it's a matter of convenience. This is where we always understood it to be. You cannot go out. Let's say all of a sudden the the, the law was clarified very definitely. Corner crossing is legal. As long as you don't step foot on private land. Dude, this corner we're talking about in Wyoming was a surveyed corner that had a marker on it. You cannot go out and and use mapping apps, fence placement, and be that you're right on the money. I picture a future in which access proponents are spending money surveying corners. And even that is going to get touchy because those corners are not going to be where these fences that have been there for 100 years stand. They're just not.
2: They're just not. I, uh, They're just not. I wanted one time was curious about a corner um, in eastern Montana and went to that corner because...
3: Th- was it, it like it's ever like, so close to the road easement? Like it's, one of those? Well, it's, it's there's it's a close, lot of that.
2: It's close to a road. It You can either go around and it takes a lot of miles and a lot of time to get into this area. Or it's like you can hop a corner close to a road. I was just like curious about it. So I went to that corner and I found a corner pin, mm. looked at my on X and the corner pin was not like on X and the corner pin were off slightly.
0: Yeah. But th- I mean, yeah, th- they don't advertise as being like, it's like they, you don't like settle. You don't pull up an app on your phone and settle like legal disputes about property yeah, lines. I know. Cause like mine, if that's yeah. the case, my driveway is a little bit out in the road, but I don't think it is. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: When, when you're hunting on a grand scale, you're not like, you know, they're not saying like, oh yeah, uh, accurate to point to a quarter inch. Yeah. It's just not what it's, it's to- not, yeah, its, totally. in, it's not its intention. Yeah. So X. for people to think that you're just going to run around willy nilly jumping fences, if this really becomes like a contentious thing and you're just going to willy nilly run around jumping fences thinking you're never stepping foot. It's like, I wouldn't trust anything. Yeah. But a corner mark. And that in this case that had a corner mark. Um, Number four, I like to point out these boys, these Missouri guys, this is like a detail that matters a lot to me, asked and asked about uh, can we do this? Can we do this? And we're told, with multiple levels of. Game warden came out and said, they're not doing anything wrong. Another officer came out from a different enforcement agency said they're not doing anything wrong. So they were doing like they did more due diligence on the issue than I've probably ever done on any access issue in my entire life and got completely mixed messaging. So in some ways, when they were talking about these guys being owing someone damages, I couldn't escape the feeling that there's a system that 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 failed them in being able to get a straight answer when you're really trying to go out and be like, well, what about blank? Everybody's like, Oh yeah, you can do that. I'm calling the cops. The cop comes out. They can do that. Well, I'm going to call a different cop that comes out and says, eh, let's try to arrest them. It's like, <laughs> you can't do that to people. Uh, what was my last one? Oh, they weren't activists. They definitely, your point about the, in hindsight to strike a deal with them, like I've always felt like I'm in dangerous waters when I try to bring up Rosa Parks in relation to this situation, but like they were not activists. They weren't trying to set precedent. They weren't trying to challenge precedent. They were legit. Like, and I've met them, and I didn't think this was true until I met them. When I met them and heard the whole story from their mouths, I was like, these dudes were legitimately just going hunting and they probably would have never said a word to anybody.
3: Yeah. And they have to drive from Missouri.
0: We found a sweet spot. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. They were not activists. No. People think they were activists. I assume they were activists. They're not activists.
3: Yeah, they basically had an over-the-counter tag opportunity as a non-resident in an area that had good game populations. They have to drive all the way from Missouri. Like, these guys were not going to all of a sudden have 20... Twenty trucks at camp, right?
4: They're a bunch of middle aged, no. love to hunt,
0: not activists, print, you know. <laughs> but you yeah. could picture it being activists, though, right? You could picture sure. someone saying, "We're gonna push this to the Supreme Court, and I'm gonna call the police and tell them to be there at eight a.m. when I jump the corner, and I'm gonna drive this home." By God, mm-hmm. they were like, yeah. "Man, I think he's probably some good elk back there, <laughs> and if we like call around and clarify that what we think is true is true, we can go in there and hunt." And holy cow, has it become? Talk about Department of like unintended consequences. My God. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's my final point. But also, I mean, hats off to them too because they weren't gonna just like swallow a bad pill. No. Right? They're like, well, no, that we are right. Um,
0: yeah, they weren't activists, but they weren't suckers. Yeah. So when yeah. someone tried to stick it to them, they're like, okay, I'm not. I mean. I'm confident in what I, I'm confident that what I found out is true. I'm I'm confident about the research. The, I'm confident about the informed assumptions I made. And to the to date, they've been borne out legally.
3: Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do have have to, I mean, uh, Wyoming chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers for their uh expediency and uh, backing these boys and yeah. oh, and, yeah. and making you're sure that the GoFundMe, me, we're gonna that. figure it out. I mean, that's that's amazing. I do have to say i think this this little story that i've told before is like really paints an interesting picture when we talk about because it's just so easy to simplify things into like landowner um public land hunter opposite sides of things right well this buddy of mine leo i used to guide on his place he had an enormous chunk of petroleum county sweetheart of a human being awesome awesome guy um and I used to ride around with him all the time. He'd come down to to our camp. We outfitted our base was on his place. Um, and just to like, nothing's black and white, right? He is a huge private land owner. He's got a bunch of his property in our private land public access program, which, you know, you can't outfit on. Uh, but we had our camp on a chunk of private that wasn't in his, uh, block management chunk. So, you know, we had a, a sweet spot right there. Um, so we had, Private, private access. He had private access open to the public. Truth be known, if he ever knocked on his door, he was just going to say yes anyway, Just right? give you
0: regular old-fashioned access. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: um, but he'd come down, and he'd, he'd pick me up in the truck, and we'd go, um, just, he'd want to check on stuff, and I'd open gates for him, right? Like, very normal deal out there. And, and um, I was always interested in learning more of the country, and I uh, finally got a GPS, and... We came up to, um, uh, it's interesting cause it's, it's a state section of ground, but the new leasee on that state section was the first person to fence it. Mm. And the fence was, ended up taking about a quarter mile of, uh, my buddy's private property. Like you could stand on the corner post and you're like, man, this, I'm like, hey, you look at this. I mean, look how far the fence is on to your place. Right? I mean, like GPS, plat map, the whole nine yards. Right? Because I was like doing my homework driving around with him. And he goes, huh. (laughs) He goes, well, Ryan, can't own the whole damn world. (laughs) And just like, away we went and nothing was set. You know, it's like, huh, well, can't on it all. You know, it's just like, oh my God.
0: Corinda's deleted that? on me the thing that I'm most dying to talk okay, about, fine. but we're short on time. Well, no, I, let me just hit, hit it real quickly. quick because this is the most interesting. Quickly. You want to talk about legal wrinkles. It's so fun. It's the weirdest thing. When you go, for, for any, if there's anyone out there who's never went and bought a gun, when you go buy a gun from an FFL, a federal firearms licensee, you come in and do a question, a questionnaire, 10 questions, 11 questions. Stuff such as, are there any restraining orders against you? Have you ever renounced your citizenship? Are you a fugitive from justice? Felony, yeah, are right. you a felon? Are you addicted to drugs? Okay? Is there like child support questions on there or something or? I don't believe I don't I thought, can't think of a child support question.
4: There may there may be like are you owing? I don't remember. No, nah, that's not that's on the last there. Last time.
0: Okay. Look them up. Well, Hunter Biden. Dude, I'd never thought in a million years I would say that name in public. Because I like, right? I don't like to go near politics that doesn't intersect with our areas of focus. However, he just intersected a thing that I'm interested in. He bought a gun in 2018. Okay. Where a time when he has openly admitted he was a crack addict. So. Every
4: 15 minutes. When he filled out
0: his FFL form, he said that he's not addicted to drugs, but then clarified that he is addicted to drugs.
4: In his book.
0: In his book. Which puts him that he lied on the FFL form. So now his many enemies, okay, are coming after him to be like, dude, you lied on the gun control form. And his legal representatives are saying that if this becomes a legal exposure to him, he's going to sue on behalf of his Second Amendment rights that a crack addict should certainly, well, be able to get a gun. Talk about like landing in an un- <laughs> landing in a very unexpected spot. Almost as, unex- as bewildering as I was when I saw it into that white oak And all that water came out. (laughs) A lot of water came out of that tree.
1: What was happening there? Harlow tree. Uh Uh-huh. Big cavity in the middle. A lot of times the pith, the heartwood of a tree will decompose over time. And, you know, that's important for all kinds of critters that use those cavities and the space inside as habitat. Is it potable
0: Uh, water and everything? eh, Not
1: to me. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh and so it, you know stem flow water runs down through the you know up, lands on the canopy runs down the branches and finds its way into that
0: So you think it was it was ra- rainwater hiding in there Yeah filled up a hollow Yeah right. Why are uh
1: just trying to push your buddy's buttons now
0: yeah. Steve Oh you haven't done anything yet he's going to be this, this next one's not going to rile him up Okay explain how why like when you go look at a spruce tree fir tree Okay but Christmas not, trees, yeah.
1: Why are they shaped like a cone? Yeah, there. It's uh, it's a story of dominance and control, Ooh. and uh, this, this ties back to what I was just talking about a second
4: ago. <laughs> a lot of back and forth <laughs> transitions.
1: I'm listening. I'm listening. No, it's uh, uh, it really begins with that, and it, you know the imperative of the tree to grow up towards what the sun, right? Uh-huh. And so, um, there's it's like hormones that control that are um, activated in the in the top of the tree the growing tip the leader right mm-hmm. uh, there's a leader at the top on these spruce and and firs in particular uh, they all have them but at the, at the top and at the ends of each branch there is a a, a bud that's enclosed next year's leaves and shoot growth that is um, uh, controlled that the opening and the extension of which is controlled by the uh, it, it, each of those sh- uh, leaders exerts control over all the other buds below and behind it. And so um, the leader at the top of the tree is exerting control over the ones just below. You look at the leader growth this, um, this summer on any of these trees, and you'll note uh, an incredible pattern is that the top has that, that internodal length, with the shoot length is longer on the top than it is on any of the subordinate branches. And that's because the leader is saying, I'm the leader and I'm going up. And it exerts this hormonal control over the, it sort of regulates the growth of the others to keep them from growing out sideways and trying to get up above it, right? So it's, it's this- but,
0: it, but it's competing against its own self. Yeah. You could see it competing, like it is, right? It's an organism. It's like a single individual. Sure. You can see it competing against- its neighbors Big time. but just a weird way to express it at the top of the tree but i guess it's like a ordered exactly it, it's ordered because it would be for one of the other branches to get uppity would be damaging to the whole tree
1: right because it's not really going in the right direction we need to get above it's in fact a way of ensuring uh, or maximizing competitive edge over its neighbors is by making sure this the the shoot the leader is the leader and can really climb and get up above the com- Competing plants around it, right? And so that's really what it is. It's just this pattern of control that, um, based on the way those those coniferous species are built, uh, results in this sort of conical form. Um, and then we can get into well, what good is that? And that's a fun question. In all these tree questions, is like any given trait does. Why does people are why is it this way? Why is it that way? Well, two basic answers. One is. It happened, it's it, it, sort of a, a mutation, genetically it just sort of occurred, and there's no good reason for it to be eliminated through selection. It, yep. it, it doesn't harm the tree. So it sort of sticks around. The other answer is because it confers some advantage to the tree, um, right? And so in this case, you're growing uh, uh, up and having this form. Uh, it's easy to imagine, well, where do these grow? In montane environments, heavy snow loads, Um, and it's really good for shedding snow. Mm. Uh, as opposed to that being shape. All, all out here, you sure. know, bushy, and then you get branch breakage and snow loading. Uh, so it's a, it's a means That's of... That's a it, good
0: point, man. They do slough snow real effectively.
1: Wicked, yeah. Yeah,
0: like when you get, when you get like a June snowstorm and all the deciduous trees are like snapping exactly. and limbs falling off them, those things just shake it off. That's man. right.
1: Yeah, And so, you know, it, it sort of starts with this hormonal control as sort of a growth regulation in the shape. Uh, and we can all imagine... It confers some ability in their environments to kind of outcompete others and, and actually just survive. First of all, yep. uh, it's the first order of business. Yeah.
0: I have a Colorado blue spruce that the top got busted out of it. It's chaos up there. Exactly. And I've gotten up there and tried to tie a new dude in there to see if he could like, I tied him with a rope, to see if he'd like assume the yeah. position. Dude, it's chaos in the top of that tree. Yeah, I've all given up on that it. That
1: was the next point, would, exactly that. And you've experienced it, is that um, when something does, in in Pines is a a, 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 a weevil that often goes for the, the terminal shoot, the leader. Oh, or if that's what did it. And they... It kills it, and then it's chaos, as you described it. They, they, the It like start... looks
0: like a crow. Not a crow, it's like on a sailboat. It looks like, I mean, li- li- like witch's literally broom, a crow. Yeah, which witch's yeah. broom.
1: Yeah, and so what we do uh, in that circumstance in your yard or Christmas tree growers do it all the time is you shear. And so when you have one that the leader that's broken off, you can get up in there and, and just trim back that chaos a little bit and choose one. That's what I've advised countless landowners is, oh, you know, it's not the end of the world. You can just choose that next best one that turn the secondary branch that was not the leader, but who has done pretty well and seems to be in a favorable position, clip the other ones around it, take a third of their shoot elongation, clip it off, mm-hmm. pruning shears. And then that one that you left now has this advantage and it will assume apical, what we call apical dominance and become the one, the, the boss shoot. What's that gonna, word? Apical. It's
0: a great ep- name for the episode. Yeah, yeah. Apical mm-hmm. dominance. Look for that in your podcast feed. Be it. <laughs> nice. Joe Seth, here's a forester.
1: We uh, we discussed that already and uh, I immediately knew I liked him for a reason and now I know why.
0: Did he tell you about the tests he had to take? Tell him about the test. Oh. Um, we
1: had
2: a, I think it was, it was, de- yeah, it was dendro, dendrology. Um, the We had a twig test where, oh, yeah, like an ID test where they gave you a section of, of twig from and, the no had, leaves leaves are for yeah, yeah. no, no, no you said leaves are for suckers and you had yeah. to identify i forget how many different species it was it was a lot but you had to, i thought
0: you said it's like, like 70 or something like that
2: i yeah I, it's something high like that yeah yeah we had it just by they, the bud just yeah, by the buds no
1: it's classic yeah. uh we had our dendro final at the university of vermont when i back in another century uh it was a hundred uh samples and so it was mostly buds twigs leaf scars fruits you know like all different kinds um and uh it was sort of legendary as this like real ball busting I- exam but mm-hmm. a lot of pride in in like smoking it and getting oh it, for sure oh know? yeah yeah yeah
0: i got a question for you it's not in your book how dumb
1: are you if you say acorn <laughs> <laughs> I just... asking for a friend <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, I like, I got to say, and I'm, I'm hip to this. So Are you an acorn man? I'm not. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm from Vermont. It's you an guys a, just it's regular acorn. acorns, Yeah, aren't it? yeah, yeah. I, I will just say this, Steve. <laughs> I really like hearing people who sound like they're from someplace. You know what I mean? America and and I can't even say it is it acorn acorn acorn. I love it I'm guessing when I hear some some tree loving nut say acorn I'm like all right, he's from somewhere I'm not that's all
0: there's a I don't know if we have him on the website anymore but apparently there's some kind of patch or something with an acorn that says A-K-E-R-N acorn I think uh, is that just uh, oh is that well I think Paul
2: Lewis made clay some of those patches on the laser machine yeah
0: They don't use, this happened to me, it's annoying, this helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year ...when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash That's rocketmoney.com slash Rocketmoney.com slash Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, a, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better... Because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like You still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game-changer. There's no more, like, leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. You'll get exclusive deals as a member too. Sign up at butcherbox.com/meat eater and get our special deal. Butcherbox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional twenty dollars off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free, and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it, free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com/meat eater. Make sure you use code meat to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. Uh, speaking of acorns, you know my friend that I said is going to be like fact-checking everything you say? Yeah. Me and him had a bet one time, man, and I can't remember the details of the bet. I remember I won it. Um, and it's going to get into a question that you had, or a question you deal in Woods-wise. But how many pounds... What's the most pounds of acorns that an oak tree might throw off? (sighs) Yeah, I don't know.
4: In a given amount of time, like
0: Uh, I think Bubbly Dog might have said something like hundreds of pounds, and I was like, that can't be true. I can't remember the details of the bet.
1: I I don't know that that's crazy. I mean, it's you've walked around out there in a big year; it's like marbles underfoot. Yeah, Uh, you know, um, you know. Big, a lot of branches, a lot of leaves. They put them out. Uh, I, one tree, I mean, hundreds of pounds seems maybe it's a little steep.
0: That that probably was that. I'm sure that wasn't what it was, but I just didn't know if you, if you happen to know. I don't.
1: I mean, I could, I could, that's actually findable. Oh, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah.
3: And uh, acorns are nothing when, like, that's like a piddly ass little fruit compared to, um, like a horse chestnut or black mm. walnut and you like there's some trees out there that produce
1: some hefty hefty yeah. fruits yeah That's right.
0: that'd be an interesting you know like how um is it caribou that have the highest ratio of horn weight per body antler weight per body weight maybe or something like that it'd be interesting the what tree probably damn apple tree right. no maybe of, citrus yeah, like
2: an orange
1: throws grapefruit. the highest weight Per pineapple, I mean just highest think about weight someone's. per
0: weight, you know yeah. ratio. Mm-hmm. But here, here's what okay. So on the acorn subject,
1: you're going acorn.
0: Oh yeah, big time.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that now that he knows it's not stupid, does, a, <laughs> does a bumper
0: crop of acorns predict a harsh winter? That's a thing that I've heard my whole life. Of course you have. The trees made a lot of acorns. Yeah. Um, the thinking goes trees produce a lot of acorns this year. Uh they're. And the logic is they're very nice. They're very kind. And they are wanting to help their animal brethren get through this severe, knowing it's going to be such a bad winter and all the animals are going to be hard up. They have uh, magnanimously thrown off a hellacious crop of acorns.
1: It's right? like, it's like yeah. the,
2: the amount of black on a woolly bugger. Right. Did you ever hear that one? <laughs> no. Sure. Oh, yeah. They're like a woolly bugger back east, like it's brown and black. And sometimes you see some that have a little bit of brown. Some I've seen them all black before. And, and what's that tell you? I've heard that the more black on the woolly bugger, the harsher the winter is going to be.
0: And there's that the animals have a particularly thick fur this fall. Mm-hmm.
1: It's going to be a
0: hellacious winter.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like those subjects you don't like to go near. Um, this is these these guy. <laughs> Who am I to interrupt? generations of folklore, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's coming from a good place, but no, they're wrong. (laughs) It's, uh, in the case of masting, the sort of synchronous, uh, bulk production of, uh, seed or fruits, uh, within a species across quite a range. Explain uh, synchronous. uh, All at the same time. One year where all the trees, uh, are, are the oak trees in a given valley or whatever are all putting out a lot of acorns every year of mm-hmm. uh, that year. Um, so in synchrony with each other, right? Yep. So that's masting in, in general. So this idea, that when that happens, it's any produ- production of fruit really is more of reflection of past environmental conditions in particular and energetic conditions of the tree. It's sort of status, health status, it's way more about what it has experienced in the last few years than what it is thinking the next year is going to be. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's more a prediction of what has happened than a a reflection of what has happened than a prediction of what is about to happen. It's not a good predictor of the future. It's telling you that it did pretty well the last couple of years, growing seasons in terms of moisture, nutrient uptake, uh, solar gain. It's, 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 it takes a lot of energy to produce all of those fruits. And it's at the expense of root growth, diameter growth, shoot growth, height growth, right? Um, But it's the biological imperative, pass those genes on. And so they're built to do this. And what's really cool when you look across a range of species over a long march of time and geeky forest scientists kind of um, tracking and, and then hypothesizing and testing is what has emerged is this predator, it's a seed predator, satiation hypothesis. That is, it's a strategy, a reproductive strategy to bulk up your energy, store your energy reserves, and then put out a bunch of acorns in this case. This year, um, everybody doing it kind of together um, to overwhelm all the seed predators. Think squirrels, Yeah, are, are
0: you familiar with the, the, the term predator swamping and with, with birds and animals? Meaning like when you get these huge aggregations of nesting birds- For instance, like like geese, like snow geese in the Arctic. Yeah. Huge aggregations, synchronized egg laying, and they're getting hammered by predators. Right. But it happens so fast that even with all the Arctic foxes, all the red foxes, everything eating all those eggs... They can't get to them all in time.
1: This is the same notion.
0: Yeah, had you spread it out over the whole summer, they probably would have gotten every last one. But right. also it's like, wham, yeah, we're right. going to lose 50%, but 50% they won't get to. Exactly. And then those ones will be able to fly by the time they get to them, you know?
1: Very similar think sort of idea here is that, yeah, in those big years, you put out so many that some acorns are going to become oak trees. You know, they just, and then the lean years where you don't put it out, that's actually keeping those squirrel population somewhat in check it's limiting them by by limiting their availability of f- food resources right so it's kind of both mm-hmm. and the idea is somebody gets a little wacky and start an oak tree starts putting out in an off year well they're going to lose all their acorns, uh, because the predators are kind of hungry for it. Right. So it's the same idea of like doing it at the same time and doing it over every few years instead of every year to build. So it's also allows you to then kind of rebuild your reserves, um, your energy and nutrient reserves, uh, so as to be able to make, uh, flowers and then fruits. Um, in the case of acorns, make you, sense.
0: Yeah, you were pointing out, <clears throat> excuse me, in your book you are pointing out an interesting thing as well that a lot of oak trees are the same age, same same birth date, because the, that system is is effective like that. Meaning, right. on these years where they got like a piss poor amount of acorns, right, they're just getting eaten because there's they're not overworked. that many around and there's so many animals that they're going to find them. That's right. But then on those bumper crop years, you find that when you go into a stand. Right, you'll find that th- those bumper crop years being actually reflected
1: in regeneration
0: in, in in recruitment. Yeah, meaning like whatever 2022 had a big bumper crop, you might find that down the road when you like age a bunch of trees, you age them back to that 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 worked. Yep, like that big year was effective and, exactly. and made oak trees.
1: It's a sort of cost benefit analysis, if you will. I mean, we're dangerously close to wild anthropology morphisms here all over the place but it's helpful for the conversation you know to to think of it this way yeah and it stands to reason
0: and you you brought up a thing that i've tried to explain in the past you've you heard Stephen gould of course yeah Stephen j Stephen jay gould he had like i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher this this
1: thought he had such great stuff
0: but he was like we're always looking at, when we look at nature, we're always saying, well, why is that that way? And nowadays, like at a time you would have looked and everything would have, you know, everything would have been explained as something divine or hidden. Right. And then we fell in love with rational thought and, and, and how, how we define scientific, rational thought. We fell in love with, with natural selection, evolution. And so we came to this idea that like everything you see must be advantageous. Exactly. Okay. So why is that tree's bark grayish brown? What is the advantage of its bark being grayish brown? And Stephen Jay Gould, I can't remember where he wrote this, is he was saying maybe just because. Exactly. Maybe really thick bark is advantageous to that tree because it's fire resistant. And for whatever reason, um, that really thick bark is grayish brown. It doesn't hurt the tree, doesn't help the tree. It's just grayish brown. Yeah. There's no why. And I think a lot of times we like to say, animals do this because. Totally. Yeah, what's its job? Yeah, you're yeah. like they like totally. to do that because and I'd be like, I agree that they sure seem to like to do that. The because part, man, I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, I, it's, I don't know. It's rampant, as I say. And, and it, you know, God bless some Forestry students, natural history students, uh, they were asking these questions. Why? Why? Why is it doing this? And it's really, i found that it really bums people out when I say there may not be a good reason. It, it, it The reason may be that there's no reason for it to go away. Mm. However it emerged, ge- genetic mutation or what have you. Uh, it's here now. It's not conferring an advantage. It's just not a disadvantage. No, yeah. There's no selection pressure against it to remove it from the population. So it kind of perpetuates.
0: Yeah. A salmon's egg might just be orange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if they were blue, there might be just as many salmon. Yeah. <laughs> there might be just as many salmon around.
1: Or not. And that gets fun <laughs> too. Sure, yeah. To like, what, what's going on here?
0: That's why I'm always advocated for parallel universes. <laughs> In which we could run one with blue salmon eggs, one run with orange salmon eggs, and check in with each other now and then, and see. Like, I like it. you know, no one's taking me up on this.
1: I have a feeling that when when you're doing research, you if you were doing field science and research, you know, have the control group. Yep. you know, you don't. My, my, I have a strong feeling that you'd always want to be in the out of control group. Mm-hmm. Sure, right? Yeah. yeah,
0: I'd keep an eye on that one. Yeah, uh, here's one you had in your book that um, we've talked about a hundred times. In, in context of property taxes. Does a hilly acre contain more land than a flat one? I've always wondered this. Like if you own deeply incised, like, like a certain, however we define an acre of land. Okay. And it's deeply incised or it's mountainous. Like that person is getting a screaming deal on property taxes over the guy that owns the flatland yeah because the person with the the super steep ground has to own more square footage of surface area than the than the person in Western Kansas paying taxes on an acre of ground you got it I mean, it's like real. how wildly off can it be? Like how much square footage of land can you own that's still being called an acre?
1: Well, funny you ask, cause I, I did push the pencil around a little bit okay. on that. And Does it wind it, up
0: being significant?
1: If on a, on a large enough area. Yes. Okay. But in most ownership sort of size ranges, yeah, it, it, it's some, but not huge. So the, the, the deal is you're right. The thinking is sound. With all this hilly terrain, there's more surface area. Yeah, and you nailed that. But really, and estate, explain
0: what an acre is too. That's,
1: so an acre, <laughs> by definition, is uh, forty-three thousand five hundred and sixty square feet of.
2: That uh, number w- was drilled into my head Oh uh, yeah. over and over and over and over and over. School. He explains where it came from. 43560, it's like, oh, right. it's there. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I can my It will, it will my never back, leave
0: my
2: head.
1: 43560, I'm not yeah. memorize that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, originally, I mean, so that's a two-dimensional, that right? And this comes back, we'll get back to the question. That's, that's the issue. It's a two-dimensional measure, uh, an acre. It's, if it was square, it'd be 208.7 feet on a side. Um, it's 43,560 square feet. and that, uh, as I, am, I understand, came originally from um, a furrow, which became a furlong, uh, which became the acre. So this all be, all started from the length, uh, uh, the distance an oxen could plow before needing a break uh, was the, the length and then love yeah you gotta love it right and then that turned into a team uh in a certain period of time that was the acre do you think the oxen standard existed somewhere (laughs) like oh
3: that is measured off of that
1: oxen (laughs) yeah right that we keep here badass oxen (laughs) and i'm doing way more than that right they're like i'm
0: all for measuring the ground but who's picking the ox
1: (laughs) (laughs) excellent point uh so with that prehistory there, an acre is a fixed square footage of of Mm -hmm. area. And where it comes back to this question of hilly acre have more land than a a flat acre is, well, a a hilly acre has more surface area. And that's what you said, Steve, and that's right. But real estate, uh, back to the corner crossing, I don't know if we're allowed to go back there, but these, these lots are laid out not on surface area, but as horizontal distance sort of floating above the ground. This is known as plane surveying, P-L-A-N-E. Mm. It's a plane. And so the concept is the acre is like sort of hovering above the ground in this two-dimensional thing. Not, oh. So if you go out and measure from one corner pin to another um, down a steep um, into a canyon or whatever, pulling a tape, uh, to measure the distance, that that slope distance, the ground distance, would be more, it's simple geometry, than the horizontal distance sure. floating above those two points. Um, and so by convention, that's all, by convention, it has, it, that surveying is based on plane surveying. Now there is... At large, like big ass scales, there's surveying that takes into account the curvature of the Earth. Oh, there is. Yeah, but that's not how property is measured and and transacted, right? But that's a whole other kind of surveying.
0: So, in a best case scenario, you might have a one point what acres of surface area per.
1: You know, maybe 0.15, you might get it on this sort of garden variety. Oh, so people piece.
0: are getting a real screaming deal. Not a deal. real screaming deal, yeah. but
1: it, the bigger it gets, the steeper, the the more of these folds that you have. Yeah. I mean, you take, um, takes a lot more to cover it if you were covering the surface. And that does translate, and I touch on this in the book to growing conditions, uh, opportunity sites for trees to exist, yep. um, you know, on the slopes. Probably more important though, where productivity of trees, timber, acorns, deer, because of their relationship with those trees and the fruits, um, it's more, um, it, it's, um, it's probably more about aspect, the direction that slope faces Mm. where you will have a greater influence on what's growing there or the habitat conditions there. But anyway, the big version here is that the hilly acre has more surface area, but not more acres, Yep. Because acres are measured as this plane hovering above. What
3: about acres? Oh. <laughs> I still do a, a whole lot of looking out the airplane window every time I fly. And I, I honestly think about this a lot. Like us folks love to talk about like the grandeur of the landscape, right? And you're looking at all this amazing stuff, but you know damn good and well, there's somebody who's like, yeah, but wouldn't it just be nice if it was all flat? Oh, Right, so we really knew how much we had and yeah. how who owned what. Right, like you know, it just just make it even. Yeah, when scheme, I see it, people, right?
0: when I see someone building a big like a new big mansion on a steep hill, I'm always like, yeah, he's got no flag round. <laughs> 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 the hell is he gonna put a garden. <laughs> no tillable. <laughs> uh, here's one that the answer really surprised me. I'm gonna spoil it by giving the answer. It's your show, and then you do what you want with it what did new England's forests look like prior to European settlement? When I dug into that one in the book, I was prepared to be depressed and was shocked to see that you are like, you the answer was eh, probably about like they do now.
1: <laughs> There's some differences, yeah,
0: but no, yeah, I, I was, for some reason I, I, I was like, uh, I felt good about it.
1: Well, cause the question <laughs> is very specific to the forests, not the landscape, right? Like, yeah. the, like now we have less forest. Yeah. And, you sure, know, we sure. have more egotoriums, right? Uh, So the forests, though, in sort of the composition, structure, uh, species composition, the arrangement of the trees, um, that is surprisingly, I would agree with you, evidently, because remember, nobody really remembers, uh, surprisingly similar um, in terms of species composition, with some changes, with some notable exceptions. Uh, In the the Northeast, we have more aspen, more cherry, more birch, um, and more red maple, than it was believed to be the case pre European contact. Okay. So, some, so at the have,
0: expense of,
1: um, what are those? What do they all have in common? They're more early successional, um, sort of uh, they have poor shade tolerance. The, these are fast growing pioneer type species, you know, live fast, die young. Um, so at the expense of the other, the late successional the hemlock sugar maple beech, that yellow birch that live hundreds of years. Um, So we we've uh, so the records indicate um, Oak has uh, particularly in Southern New England is, 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 has gone down in, in preponderance, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, to me, the interesting thing about all that work is it's, I guess it's surprising. You would have thought, Oh man, radically different. Oh yeah. I thought you'd be like, Oh, beech trees that were 20 feet across at the stump. Well, (laughs) so, so the, There's two things. One is the other piece is that the species mix that largely looks very much the same evidently, um, is, is one, but I think it's really important to quickly move to, but that, but the forest is very different. There are fewer lunkers, big ass giant trees, Mm. big old trees. There's way fewer down dead trees in a variety of sizes, um, Coarse woody material that we're we know now is plays this really important habitat and nutrient cycling and water role. Um, way less of that now than in the pre settlement forest. So, when
0: I said I was going to answer the question, I didn't do a very good job of answering it
1: okay <laughs> well,
0: no when i felt like you said like yeah probably like it would now
1: yeah so in species <laughs> you got it right a lot in terms of caveats of, a lot well, of caveats well it's here. just that what do we mean by different? so the species yeah. mix is surprisingly similar and okay. you were right about and that's where you were going i'm saying there's more to a forest than yeah. the names of the trees out there it's what sizes what ages what physical spacing and arrangement um there were so old forests um which those primarily were are exceedingly rare everywhere now, particularly in the Northeast. Well, 1% of the landscape is in what we would call actually old forest. Um, is that right? 1%? Yeah. Huh. And so old forests are more than just the the species that are there. It's, it's, so in other words, the species haven't changed all that much, with some notable exceptions. It's the composition, what we call the structure, the three-dimensionality of the forest yep. has changed a lot, a lot. And also, I think there's reason to think that I mean, these woods have been worked hard, right? They were cut repeatedly and then they were, it was sheep pasture, then it was cows. Um, and so there's been an export of wool, milk, wood, and let's not forget soil from these places, you know, over... Uh, a few centuries. So they're much depleted. And I think it stands to reason that they're probably not, they're different in other ways that maybe we're not able to see quite yet in yeah. terms of their, what other organisms have gone missing, right? That we don't really pay attention to, not the charismatic megafauna, right? They're largely the same with some, you know, we had elk, they're not there anymore. I mean, there's some big differences, but does this make sense? Like yeah, there's right. sort of like, the, is it a fecundity? Type of question. Well, I'm sure the basic productivity of the sites. I I shouldn't say I'm sure. I suspect strongly, with reason, that they are much depleted. The other piece I would thing I'd say about this piece is that really floored me, and I I, I thought was really fun was well, how how does how do I know this? Well, I know it from some published papers, peer reviewed. How did they know it? This this description of the change from the pre-settlement forest to today as i start the thing with kind of a wise ass remark well nobody remembers but fortunately the surveyors that were laying out the king's lots and original kind of doing doing this surveying in the north in the northeast where they first landed those first woodsmen going through the woods and surveying and laying out lots and um they were making notes of witness trees right on every corner well, what are the trees around this and so these researchers uh went and poured over you know hundreds and thousands of these old uh, surveyor records and then kind of, you know, kind of summarized and computerized them and kind of analyzed them. And that's the basis of this, like, what's the, the occurrence of species then versus now and that that's i just find that to be a really cool little bit of science that sure. somebody went yeah. and kind of creatively found a way to get at an answer maybe it's like accidental
0: accidental citizen science yeah
1: really cool yeah, um, from the 1800s and or uh, or right that these guys then cultivated and sort of unearthed in sort of an archaeological kind of approach to those records and then rebuilt a, a picture of the species mix but not the the um as i say the the the, the structure and comp and other forms of composition of the forest that are really important.
0: Uh, me and me and my colleague, Dr. Randall ha- were discussing something like this recently where we're working on. It prop- sounds
3: so official when you put it in those terms. Doc
4: Rand.
0: Uh, <laughs> he's an official. <laughs> we we've made up a song about him. Um, it's like, what good is being a doctor when you can't, Prescribe no drugs. (laughs) 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 Gotta work on those. Yeah. It's like, how could there actually be a doctor of history? Um, (laughs) I gotta work on the tune, the melody, the melody and the lyrics are suffering. (laughs) But Dr. Randall and I were observing. We're working on these audio. We're working on these audio books. About. Um, long hunters and mountain men okay and rather than focusing on all the geopolitics and world events and stuff focusing very heavily on the day-to-day nuts and bolts of how they did what they did meaning we know that daniel boone uh spent most of his career hunting deer hides okay how how did he hunt deer when he got up to a dead deer what did he do how did he prepare the hides for the market? How were they handled in camp? Why didn't they all rot when it rained? Who did he sell them to and where and for how much? Who wanted that leather and for what purpose? Okay. Um, so many of these questions are exceedingly difficult to find out. Other things that chroniclers of the time were fixated on are of low relevance to us, meaning how an area was watered and what grew on it was of great importance to chroniclers. I went to the head of this Creek. It was well watered here, 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 and here with Springs. There was a salt source here. Um, this is what the timber array looked like. Uh, why in the hell would I write down how he skins deer? (laughs) Who cares? You skin deer like you skin deer. Like, no, like, like like write down what we ate. Who who would ever want to know that? What they want to know is, is it well watered and how? Right. Right. And it's like, it's in that way. And again, there was always like the, the blazing of trees. It was, it was, they were going about what they were doing for money and they were two steps ahead to to describing land for other people, and um, I bring that up only because one, it's a frustration that we're dealing with, and two, like those people did in New England, that might be an interesting um, that might be an interesting thing for for foresters trying to understand that middle ground that that area of like Kentucky at that time because their descriptions do not conform at all to what. The amount of American cane, right? Yeah. The amount of time they spend hiding in, living in, storing things in hollow trees. It's like, go find me some hollow trees now that a couple guys are going to sleep in. It's like, what are they even talking about? right? Mm-hmm. That stuff is just not... He Boone lost one of his hunting buddies who got wounded, hit by a musket ball, and was hide. Eventually, bled to death in there, but went and hid himself in a hollow tree, gun and everything. It's like where the hell's that tree? Yeah,
1: it's few and far between, <laughs> not here. there anymore. Yeah.
0: But in reading this stuff, it seems like it was like every time you turn around, there's a hollow tree big enough for you and your buddy to like, axe a hole into and camp in. Yeah,
1: yeah, no doubt. And it, I, to me, it raises a really important point that like these old forests that I would suggest are like the that for, the best the best expression of a forest. It is. That's what they're supposed to be, right? So you look at those as the archetype of what a forest can be. Is like these old forests. A real common misconception is that it was this open. It's just this unbroken expanse of bomber trees. You know, huge trees from from Maine to Missouri. Squirrel you know, the never squirrel, that, the yeah, ground. That around. whole bit. Yeah. No, even in these old forests, the evidence indicates and stands to reason that there's trees are under all kinds of uh, daily seasonal, yearly, long-term assault, right? Their branches break, there's insect outbreaks, wind throw, ice, ice storms, fire, and they occur in, in various return cycles and in various intensities. And that results over the long time in this kind of mixed mosaic of, so you have even in these, the point is even in big, old, awesome, perfect, if you will, old forest, there's baby trees. There's little trees, there's broken trees, there's ugly trees, there's patches of open, there's wetland complex, beaver associated areas that with early successional habitats, the, the 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 matrix, if you will, was big bomber trees, old and long lasting, but interrupted here and there with all, every conceivable stage of growth and, and mm-hmm. type, right? Yeah. And so that's what makes them powerful is they have all these different substrates, all these different surfaces, all these different possibilities for everything else associated to make a living. Um, and that's, what's really lacking now almost everywhere. Yeah. You know,
4: is there an, Oh, sorry. Is, is there an age, uh, an age kind of definition for the cutoff of, you know, old, of old old growth.
1: It depends by species. So like, uh, in the Northeast, uh, so Eastern hemlock will go for maybe 500 years. Uh, uh, balsam fir, not so much, you know? So an old balsam fir stand might be, you know, 150 be wicked old for a bunch of balsam fir, mm. but mid adolescent, late adolescence for, for a hemlock stand, if you will. Right. And so we define it less. I think ecologists define it less by just age and more by yeah, age and other evidence of having escaped human disturbance. Stumps, Fences, you know, barbed wire buried in trees, stone piles, all of it.
0: Oh, I uh, got okay. Right? Yeah. So
1: we have a definition for our tax abatement program for forest landowners that you can qualify for, you know, sort of different treatment, different management requirements for old forest. If you can demonstrate, yes, Corinne, you meet this certain threshold of age for the appropriate to the forest type. Um, but you also have to show that is not just a couple of big old trees that just escaped harvest or other disturbance, but that there's been no human disturbance for that long period of time. and it And then you look for other things like the presence of of down trees in all diameter classes, mm. not just little twigs on the ground, mm-hmm. but big trees oh, you oh, no. know, mm-hmm. in various stages of decay. So you, you know it's all the parts and pieces that um, are considered when, and I think most, I think it's fair to say that's the a conventional approach to kind of defining or creating a threshold for what is or isn't an old forest. Mm-hmm. I had a
3: couple real interesting days of uh, hiking in, in Northwest Montana here last week, and it, it was really gorgeous, but it all changed for me once I kind of realized what was happening as I was looking for this roost tree. Like I knew these turkeys were in this area. And you know, typically a lot of landscapes is not that hard. Like if you, if you have a general area where the gobbles are coming from early in the morning.
0: Oh, it'd be like, yeah, I bet they're hanging out in that tree. Exactly. Like
3: like uh, that one. Right. Well, because all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking through this new lens. I start looking around this forest that was previously like very pretty and pleasant. And I'm like, there is not a tree here. That is of a, a different age class. Every single, tr- you know, it was like the same. And it just, it just like totally changed mm-hmm. my experience because of that. Yeah. Because it was just like, it. whoever was doing the forestry in that area. Like, it, I mean, it was amazing. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. But there was no mistaking that everything had been touched by the hand of man. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am in like a uh, a city park almost you know what i mean you know, you, yeah yeah it's just very recognize
0: different silver culture yes man i just got a new truck before i even drove my new truck anywhere i wasn't gonna drive it anywhere until i put a deck system in it that's how, that's what a believer i am in decked i always thought they were a great deal but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast, nothing shifts. And like I said, they're they're D rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D rings. The D rings are built in. The drawer system fits any trucker van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more, like, leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Hey, heads up, all you anglers. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in Montana, based in Helena. After building custom fly rods for more than 25 years, Montana native and lifelong fly fisherman Scott Joyner decided to apply his knowledge in designing three performance-driven fly rod models. These rods were designed to be performance rods and to withstand the abuse that a fishing guide's equipment endures day in, day out. Their fly rods are named after Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks fishing access sites, which is such a cool idea. And each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit... Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Montana Casting Company fly rods have been developed to achieve the perfect balance of performance, durability, and legacy quality craftsmanship. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. This show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stressors, big ones, little ones. When you keep these things bottled up, it can start to affect you in a very negative way. Well, therapy is a great space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down, like figure it out. That means figure it out with someone who's impartial, who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no, there's no such thing. It's like you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind. Okay, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/meatEater today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. dot slash meatEater. Let's get to the one everybody here wants to talk about. What's the difference between sap wood and heartwood?
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't go anywhere without people asking me that one, Steve. Uh, uh, it's all wood,
0: and you're going to tie this into making light, lighter material. Sure. Okay.
1: Um, y- uh, sap. You know so- what I'm
0: talking about. Pine knots and whatnot. does that tie into this or not?
1: Oh, uh, no, not those are knots. Uh and oh, no, like
0: the stuff that's got all the resin. What the hell were you? Yeah, you had
1: yeah, fat, fat wood. They Oh, call it oh yeah. So I want wood. to do yeah.
0: sapwood, heartwood, and, and fat fatwood. wood. Okay. Right. So
1: sap wood. Let's and, start with fatwood. Uh,
0: uh, start wherever it makes most
1: sense. Okay, we started with heartwood and sapwood, so yeah. I'll go there. And uh heartwood is is the the wood in the inside of the tree. The oldest, all of the oldest, ma- the oldest wood within a tree. Uh, and the sapwood is the outermost ring of wood inside the bark. So we got to go anatomy 101 here. Mm-hmm. And you've got xylem is the word that's just, it's just a fancy name for wood. And, you know, the cambium is this thin layer, a veil of living cells on really near the, just under the bark that divides and multiplies it's it's really where tree growth happens in diameter shoot growth is different that's that apical bud that's extending the length of the tree but diameter growth of the stem and the twigs that all comes from the cambium producing wood cells to the inside of itself and bark cells to the outside of itself Hmm. Got you. Okay. And so as the tree and it, and think of
0: So the action is all happening at that layer.
1: At that layer. Exactly. And every year the tree puts on a layer and you, best way I think to think about this is like highway pylons, you know, traffic cones, like you stack them on top of each other. That's how the cone of growth is is formed on a tree as well. So that why, when you imagine cutting, stacking up 10, 12 highway cones on each other and then sawing through it transversely, you know, horizontally through, what would you have? Counting rings. You'd have rings. And yeah. that's how it works with trees. They lay down a layer of growth every year, and it's wood on the inside, bark on the outside. Well, wait a minute, wait. How come there isn't this whole chunk of bark out there, right? You got wood adding on every year. Oh, yeah. But the, the quick answer there is that the bark sloughs off. It's exposed, and it, it you know, so you have this relatively relatively thin layer of bark on the outside, even though it's been created just like the, mm. the wood gets created on the inside. People usually wonder So, yeah, that.
0: so let's say you're talking about a 400-year-old tree. Yeah. Okay. The oldest part, presumably, is like down at the bottom of the tree, dead center. Yes. Okay, that's the oldest part. Right. So on a 400-year-old tree, how old do you think the bark is?
1: that's you know the the bark uh that's there is only it depends on species and where um so it'll range but it's way less than 400 huh right way like like more like tens uh i would think zero okay yeah, yeah, yeah. i hadn't thought about that yeah. yeah um so you got wood on the inside bark on the outside and then the wood on the inside keeps Adding and so the innermost portion, which is the pith, the f- first formed wood on the center of the tree, that usually gets crushed and kind of dissolves or whatever. The rest of those wood layers, um, they just become kind of their structural. It's like it's the it's the structure for the photosynthetic apparatus up top. It's but large... they're
0: alive in some way. They're not like hair. They're not like human no, hair. This right? is
1: what's great. This most of a tree is dead.
0: Oh but, really? Okay. Yeah.
1: So including most of the wood.
0: Nothing's going on in there.
1: No, I didn't say that. But it's, it's dead. And so that's that heartwood, which is the dead wood on the inside is still uh, a place where the growing points on the outside, they send through. So if you, if you look at a stump, sometimes you can see like on, um, like spokes almost like, those are are called rays. And those are, they allow this transport of stuff from the near the bark side of the tree to the center that's kind of like the dumping ground for waste products and that's why in your walnut you were speaking of earlier the prized wood is the dark wood right Mm -hmm. that's a, a product of phenols terpenes other kind of secondary compounds and products chemicals that get sort of sent there and they discolor the wood they play some antimicrobial kind of role i think antifungal role but they Uh, They discolor the wood and and that's why the value in black walnut is all heartwood because it has this thin band of relatively white, light colored wood around the outside. That's the most recently laid down last few years worth of wood. That's still, uh, most of the cells there are dead, but there have some live cells within them. And that's the plumbing system, the vascular system of the tree that pumps water from, and nutrients from the, from the, ground up and takes carbohydrates formed by the leaves and sends it to the roots and storage and through the stem to growing points. Um, so that's mostly all happening just inside the bark, just inside the cambium those the last several years. And it varies widely by species. So I'm generalizing, but it's the last, it's the most recent wood uh, near the outside of the tree, but still on the inside of the cambium that is sapwood. Yep. And it tends to be light colored and where all this translocation is going on. And it's the, the center wood is the heartwood, which is kind of mostly structural. It's just allowing, it's like the telephone pole on which all the living cells just continue to elevate and try to access sunlight and outcompete their neighbors. Um, it has some other stuff going on, as I mentioned, the storage, the discoloration, etc. So that's heartwood on the inside, sapwood on the outside of the inside, yep. and then cambium and then bark outside that. Fatwood is uh it's not i should just you know this is a southern thing not my expertise but I'm, my understanding is this is from softwoods southern yellow pines pitch pine loblolly short leaf i think in particular mm-hmm. which are very big on resins and in softwoods that's often inside the you know in these these rays and other places where you have uh resin ducts uh that are kind of used to stop infection keep insects at bay etc um, you have these deposits of that stuff, which is really combustible, and so you split that kind of softwood. Those 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 uh, pines that have that are high in those uh, pitch compounds, yep. and they become just great kindling. It's dry and it has this extra flammable stuff in it.
3: Where'd you get that big old pile of it you had? I was suspecting it
1: was from a fir. Well, just gives the shape of the base. So what's interesting about fir? Um, now, Doug fur is not a true fur, so if it was Douglas fir, it was I was
3: get, I, in my world, Doug fur is a fur. Okay, you know because so, it has fur in the name. Yeah, so. right. So <laughs> yeah.
1: it's called Pseudosuga menziesii is the Latin name because it's it's a it's that would be false. Hemlock, That's a great but, name. Yeah, well, there's we could do a whole podcast on really fun names, uh, Latin names. They often mean something, right? But anyway, no, uh, Douglas fur is not a true fur. It's not a fur. It's just. That's why it's Douglas Dash fur. What is it? It's a, um, well, it's a false hemlock. It's uh, oh. it's in its own kind of category. Um, and so, but all of those, so it would have resins and pitch. Whereas, um, what do you have? Uh, white fir, white bark. What's the white, white fur? White bark pine? Well, white well bark there's white no, bark pine. So, so pine. About, that's a pine. So the furs you have, like, you have... Fr- you, you have well, we have... Uh, subalpine Subalpine fur. Yeah. Yeah. Those wouldn't have the stuff. Um, they're just owing to the peculiarities of, of true fur wood. And, what, um,
3: and then, uh, where's, where's like tamarack fall?
1: Another awesome species. Uh, and, uh, Western larch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Another name. Um, it's its own genus. Um, and, uh, you know, we have an Eastern tamarack, Eastern larch. There's Japanese larch. They're commonly planted. Um, but they all have, they're different because they're, they're built differently and they largely the the taxonomic differentiation is based on reproductive f- parts uh, and they differ, but those also sort of translate, they bring along other anatomical and physiological differences as well. So they're all kind of different and they're grouped. Uh, so spruces are different from pines, are different from firs, are different from false firs, are different from larches and tamaracks in the way they're, it's usually it's, for those, you tell them apart by the cones. That's, and then you go from there to other characteristics that we kind of correlate with those differences too. So the, they the, all the, translate into di- different wood properties that end up being different for structural use, for um, for visual appeal, uh, and for these ecological differences.
3: For the, this fat wood harvest that we're talking about um because it it, you can light anything on fire with it it's crazy no it works wicked good crazy flammable in my experience it is a tree not that i've been around for this entire story mind you but it's what i've what i've put together from what i've discovered on the ground right is it's a tree that stood for a long time dead dead standing tree all that resin has migrated down and Super condensed. At the base. At the base. Interesting. And then eventually that, that tree tips over. And then those shards are super easy to, to harvest in sometimes very large chunks, but they are very, very dense, super heavy. Right. And that's, that's the, like if they're, it's almost fossilized. Like to me, like the really good stuff is it's got almost like a plastic sheen to it. Yes.
1: Very dense, very heavy. Yes, you should ask him calves all over this. One. Did I mention I don't know a lot about this?
0: You did a little bit. Yeah. Cuz you you put it to another people. You yeah. put it to the acorn people.
1: Yes, exactly. But I and I don't mean to suggest that it doesn't exist in your western uh conifers and it sounds like you've experienced that here, Cal, and that's that's all stands to reason to me and um I can't refute it.
3: My uh, my identification is piss poor. Like <laughs> western larch no problem right? Okay, yeah. Uh, Ponderosa, cedars, you no probably, problem. you probably got cedars Cedar, down. Yep, yeah. No, no problem. Yeah. yeah but I got to get, I got to get better. Got to spend
1: more time with Seth. It we can, like, we so. can help you with that. Yeah. yeah. It's knowable and it's good to know those differences. It is, yeah, yeah, for sure. Quick aside, you know, and back in dendro, uh, d- dendrology study of trees, the naming thing, it's kind of basic in a forestry course of study, right? Um, I, I was lucky to have a couple of really great professors. Uh, one of them he had this thing that stuck with me forever. He said, when we go out in the lab, you know, you do the lectures, but then you go out and you look at stuff and he'd say, the last thing I'm going to tell you about this tree is what its name is. I'm going to tell you what it's doing here, how it got here, what how it relates to everything else around it, the critters, et cetera. Because, you know, that's what matters. And then we give it a name and that's the handle and the way we speak about it. Mm. And I think that was a really important lesson for yeah, me and countless good. others. It's like, and this is why I've said, s- similarly, we like to say that you know, we talk about forest ecology and people kind of well, it gets, immediately start to get nervous. Like that sounds hard or that's going to hurt. Um, I think it's really helpful to think of forests more as a verb than a noun. Um, like forest is like not forested or foresting, but like a forest because it's, it's, they're just defined by function and we're really connected to it, even though, We've lost that connection in a big way, which is a whole nother topic. Maybe we can get to it, but I think it's really helpful to start with. What are they doing? And that's what you're all about. You're noticing that out there and you're probably more tuned into that than the names. You're like, oh, I'm bad at that. But my guess is because of what you do and your passion for spending time out there, you've got all kinds of knowledge about function that you don't even know about that you're just putting together. And that's Mm. what's really cool. I think about the woods, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, what's eating that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, For
3: whatever reason, something likes to sleep there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, What sort of dude with a musket is camped out inside there? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But... uh, I just, I offer that as kind of a helpful kind of premise is think about them more as functional and connected. And when we, the the more and better we do that, the more and better pretty much everything else will be about our relationship with forests.
3: Oh, it's, yeah, you're, you're so spot on. Cause like, you know, I can run through like a field of wildflowers and name a handful, but when, whoever I'm hiking with, when I'm like, and that's Larkspur poisonous to cattle. Right. They're like, holy shit.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, you know, remember how we had that conversation about how some stuff just is? Yeah. Right. And I think that maybe Gould or one of those guys even called it that. Just yeah. stuff that is. Um, It seems like paper birches being white maybe isn't just is.
1: Yeah, right. right. Uh, what's with that? I mean, they so stand out and Everything's kind of green or brown, and then they're there, they are being all super white. And uh,
0: where do they get off?
1: Yeah, so uh, the thinking here is that this one may, maybe, eh, just no reason for it to go away. But um,
0: there's a compelling case,
1: there's a really compelling case that has been made that this is about where they live. Think about paper birch, it's transcontinental, it's circumpolar, it, it's one of those tree species that. Exists all around the the North Country. Yeah, like a, the there,
0: there's a band of latitudes, and no matter where you go on the planet, at that band of latitudes, you'll find that tree.
1: Yes, and w- that latitude tends to be what, in a general way, around the 50s. Well, cold. Oh, okay, yeah. I, less about the latitude, but the conditions there, right? And uh, and so. The short answer here is it's been posited that that, and it's true for other associates like your your aspens here at high elev- higher elevations. They're kind of light barked too, thin and light barked is uh, suggested to be a mechanism to reflect r- solar radiation. Why would a tree ever want to push away? So you say th- th-
0: the, 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 it's thin. They
1: are. They're they very, tend to be very thin, thin and white, and yeah. white, and this is to keep them from heating up in winter with solar radiation which is like the
0: opposite of what you'd think
1: right but you know i was just recently saw a piece of a black piece of paper on a wall and a white piece of paper next to it and said you know on a sunny day go ahead and touch it and you put your hand on the black it's hot You put your hand on the white it's cool and so like it really makes a difference why does this matter to the paper birch tree uh in the winter in those cold climates, you don't want to – they have – there's green living cells uh, tissue underneath that bark and they're ready to rip if if the conditions are right. You don't want to warm up and then be like, oh, let's, let's start some cellular activity Looks here psych. and then have – right, and then have a cloud move over and then it's back to, you know, 15 degrees and those cells die. So this is presumed to have evolved as a mechanism to allow them to live in these super cold environments and not – turn on growth when it gets a little warm on the stem because the sun is hitting it for a while, which happens. So it's reflecting away that incoming solar radiation in the winter, uh, to avoid that damage that would ensue, um, if they tried to get, get going.
0: And what, what backs it up is, uh, you look at other Northern deciduous trees and you start seeing that, yeah, like they all get a little lighter.
1: Yeah. They tend to exactly
0: like you get get alders that have you get alders that are like not quite as dark aspens a northerly tree yeah not white but definitely not dark
1: lighter exactly whereas lower latitudes the preponderance of trees have dark bark because maybe just the opposite it's kind of good to get to stay warm when it's kind of cool out you can heat you can warm up and you know optimize your sort of metabolism and other physiological activity in in on a cool day because you're you're actually able to absorb a little wor- warmth more warmth from the sun
0: got one more for you i think corinne might have one all right you know how um old guns like you know clay was just clay just got to see uh speaking of acorns clay just got to see davy crockett's actual gun betsy where's uh that? what's that where's that at? some family owns it oh okay he's talking about curly maple is curly and bird's eye maple the same thing or no? No,
1: not, not as I understand it. Um, it's very similar as this, you know, particular grain pattern in the wood of particularly maples, sugar maple, hard maple, uh, where you get this, um, tiger curly, uh, is this wave like pattern in certain, views of the wood mm-hmm. uh, that's just you know it's just cool it's favored it's highly prized and, and it, uh, it
0: doesn't they, they'd like it for guns because it doesn't
1: split it's dense it's right it's not uniform in the direction of the grain it's not all like and so that would make it much harder to split it's like a burl that's kind of like almost like cells growing out of control you just and, reference
0: and, our genuine buck and burl
1: exactly yeah uh, it, which is beautiful is and, and uh that's that's like
0: He'll oh, spot those from his airplane now and then. Nice. He'll spot a good one from his airplane and the, go find the, it later. The,
1: but it's important for your <laughs> listeners to know the bulls don't grow on those trees. The, no. B- the burls do. You yep. got to make well, it a Someone's got to make it a bowl. Yeah. This is the bowl hanging there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, so that's this, um, you know, atypical uh, cellular di- division and growth growth. Uh, atypical with particular respect to direction of how it grows and you get these funky uh growth patterns that are beautiful and they're really hard to split because it's kind of it's denser probably right Mm -hmm. um and uh so i write about here bird's eye which is a particular type yet again of figure um you might even say disfigure in maple wood that's highly not
0: a kind of maple but, but like
1: it's not a kind of maple. But it that's could right. be in
0: any maple, or no?
1: It tends to be... I think it's really limited to sugar maple. Oh, I see. Okay, uh, yep. I don't know that I've ever seen or heard of it in a red maple or a silver maple, for Got example. Gotcha, gotcha. But um, so it's this odd growth in terms of wood development uh, that it results in these little, that little figures that look like bird's eyes. That's why it's called bird's eye. And when you have like a, uh, like a f- spray of them across a surface it's quite beautiful and striking. And there's legend about, you know, which trees have the bird's eye in it. Cause you, you know, it commands a, a premium price. When you sell a tree, a, a log that has bird's eye, you're going to pull that and put it in a different pile. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're going to put your veneer sort, your bird's eye sort, your firewood sort, your regular saw log sort, you know, um, and you're going to market those differently. And this is the highest and uh, there's little of it. So that Accordingly, there was this, this great, you know, there's traditions of, you know, I knew one landowner once he was convinced Canadians from Quebec were coming down, marauding and stealing his, 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 uh, with machetes were hacking away to look for, at the base of trees, to look for evidence of bird's eye. And, Canadians. Uh, that's the Canadians. Sons you know. of bitches. Yeah, man. yeah.
0: It doesn't Bits. surprise me one bit.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> Everybody knows a
3: Canadian and a machete go hand in hand, you know? I mean <laughs> <laughs> Well,
1: I don't think George was really uh accurate on that one, but you know, this is the kind of lure and the things that like, develop. That's but, telltale uh, hack mark of a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I had one forester uh who um helped me. We were looking and and he he's convinced that there's this like Coke bottle, um, the old fashioned Coke bottom Coke bottle that at the bottom it's one diameter but then it tapers and then it comes back up again mm-hmm. and then he would see that in certain sugar maple stems at near the base and he he'd say oh let's look at that and he he has a correlation there and he
0: knows birds eye and,
1: and yeah and he's looking for birds eye yeah. yeah and everyone's got their way of doing it you know um, um and it's a really low percentage of the trees that have it 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 is it's not really well understood why but it basically comes from any kind of a ding in the tree that can, it's an injury. It could be, could be a bird peck. It could be somebody getting crazy with their lawnmower, you know, whacking it, uh, uh, or any number of things that go wrong out there that can, in the young life of a tree can ding it. And then that little, the, the wound response that trees have can result in this, in this particular case of like this, this odd growth pattern that then results in, you know, ironically enough, highly valuable wood that was from damage
0: when that when that term first caught my interest I was reading something in the Great Lakes region about what was floated down a river and it named species of trees but then included in the list was that they would float birds eye maple huh. down the river and I thought it was peculiar that they were like grading it yeah right and then well, someone took note of that, that, that specifically is what they're sending down the river.
1: Right. Because it's, or worth, no, no, you
0: know maybe, maybe it was what, maybe that's too dense to float and they wouldn't send it down the river, but they were like sledging it out, whatever the hell it was. Right. It was like, it was like white pine or whatever, white pine, oak, bird's eye maple.
1: Right. You know, and that's to be, you know, that's reflecting its, its economic value. It's mm-hmm. that's like way more than your garden variety saw timber.
3: I got a real broad question for you and we can skip it if you don't want to tackle it, but Mm. do you have anything you want to say about fire? Like I'm just interested Mm -hmm. in regards like how we do with fire in the U.S. right now in regards to our forests.
1: Yeah, there's a lot here and I'm happy to speak to it. Recognizing as a caveat, right, I'm from the Northeast, uh, said to be the asbestos forest. I'll quickly point out that like I think asbestos burns. It just (laughs) burns at really... Particular conditions. So our we have in Vermont. We had like we have like 400 acres of like wildfire a year. Mostly brush burners getting out of control at the wrong time of year. It's it's after snow melt, before leaf out. So point is, we don't have these days great incidents of wildland fire. We had a history of it. There's whole paper birch stands in the Green Mountains that were. Uh, Originated in the early 1900s with railroads and lack of spark arresters and a, a different forest type with had a lot of spruce slash on the ground and highly flammable. So we have a history of fire, but it's really been it, it was very wet, relatively speaking, and it's 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 known as the asbestos forest. Whereas out here, it's a big deal and has been for some time. And I think it was kind of well said that some somebody I heard say like Smokey lied a little bit. You know, like fire is a part of these ecosystems. There are certain species that. Have what we call serotonous cones. They need the heat of fire to open as an adaptive strategy mm, to shoot yeah. their seeds out and land in that seed bed that's been prepared by fire. You mentioned the thick bark, say a giant sequoia, it's fire adapted. And so fire is part of the ecosystem. We've done an incredibly good job of eliminating it to the detriment of the ecological kind of functioning. And now we have monocultures and we have that, you know, clear cut and plant and keep fire out. And this is just a recipe for disaster. And you're seeing it now. And now it's exacerbated by climate change, mountain pine beetle. Um, uh, and this is this perfect storm. Uh, and, and again, I should say, you know, remember I'm from the Northeast. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't live it and there's a lot here as you're all well aware and it's very intense Um, But I think for me, I'm willing to say we have a problem in having excluded fire for so long that now we have whole new approaches to fuels management, fuel load reduction. That's going to require, you know, people getting involved and actually doing stuff um, and thinking differently about fire. We do use controlled burn, prescribed fire. In certain natural community types in the Northeast, because they've evolved with it, pitch pine sandplain communities, for example, need that fire. And we go out and set fires, and it's really not popular with the neighbors, you know, mm-hmm. with smoke and everything else. It's dangerous, mm-hmm. and it's really carefully controlled. Um, so there needs to there's a role for fire naturally, and now because everything's so unnatural, over a long, you know, decades, uh, centuries really, uh, or at least a century, we're we're in a position where we're vulnerable and it's kind of meeting up with these other forces, climate change, drought, et cetera, that are exacerbating it. And, uh, it means intervention is, is called for and new approaches to forest management that think differently about wildland fire. Uh, and now we have more and more people living in that urban wildland fire interface. Right. And, um, you know, fire wise communities, like we've, we've had to shift a lot of things. Um, because of it. I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot here. And, oh yeah. Uh, and, uh, sure. and I think, um, it's easy to say, you know, kind of like, yeah, oh, we need more fire, but not if you live there. Uh, I mean, this is people's homes, livelihoods. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a big, a hot mess really in a lot of ways. Uh, but even ecologically, I think there's a case that's made that we got to get this right. And we were a long way from being right there now.
0: You ever feel bad for a tree sawing into it?
1: No, you know, honestly, and I'm really glad you asked because all these things are balance, and balance is a poor word. It's it's mean, no balance when humans are involved. We have a ma- incredible footprint on this planet. Mm-hmm. We ask a lot of these forests, they, they, and that's that's a big thing for me. Is just that we are so disconnected generally as a as a culture from our daily consumption of wood products. You know, we're really into things like the burl bowl, and um, that don't hurt tree. You know, but, but we use an, an awful, an awful lot of wood. This so table hurt. Uh, do, do I get, <laughs> do bamboo. I, fam, bamboo? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that when I, when I, you know, cut a tree <laughs> yeah. and put a saw into a tree, I think about it. I'm uh, like, and, and when I'm out there with a paint gun marking trees for harvest, I'm like, really, what am, am I going to make this place better? Really? And then, so I think the, the premise for me is forests don't need us, but we really need them in the, in the history of people there's never been a time when people weren't utterly dependent on wood for shelter, fuel, tools, you know, ever. Where's the evidence that it's ever going to change? In fact, we're moving back to wood from plastics and all kinds of cellulosic applications that basically anything made from plastic was once or could be made from wood, which is renewable if you do it right. It's not automatic. So we have to look at our, just acknowledge our consumption of wood, and then we have to probably dial it back a little bit and then we need to think about a new relationship with the land and how we obtain our wood and do it differently so that it, and I think it's really possible and that's what really excites me and keeps me going is, and to somewhat, uh, to some extent a proselytizer, I suppose, about a, an ecological forestry that is available to us now and that can, that's honest in that it meets our needs and so every article I've read, we discussed this a bit, Corinne. They go on about why we need trees and the the, the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis. And It's all true, but it, they, every one of them, I don't know. That I don't know that I've ever seen one that 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 didn't stop short of saying, yeah, it's because of us. Like we. So I'm seeing documentaries that say it's because we're we're cutting these trees down and turning them into two by fours, and they stop there, as if we're just doing that for a joyride we're putting them into two by fours because people are, we need human habitat too. Right. And so what's the deal here? We got to get past this very convenient, uh, the trees are, we've, uh, we've, the the pandemic showed us how important it is for people to get outside. Historic spikes in outdoor recreation. That's Mm. really good. It puts pressure on certain places, but it's really good. Um, it also showed us that is the pandemic showed us this, how vulnerable we are in this global supply chain of wood products in Vermont, In the immediate shutdown, forestry, logging, and manufacturing wood products was not considered essential. And as commissioner and uh, the deputy commissioner and I, our phones were ringing off the hook for about a 24-hour period saying, you got to be kidding me. We have hospitals that are heated with wood. A third of Vermont schoolchildren go to schools heated by wood. All the Amazon packaging comes from trees, man. Uh, Mm. tongue depressors, swabs, and all this medical supplies that were made from wood and and that were needed now in a big way in the pandemic. And yet we weren't being, so two things, the pandemic for its shining a light on the importance of people getting outside and connecting with nature. And it's shown a light on our vulnerability and our dependence on wood and our vulnerability in a global supply chain that we don't control everything. That combined with Climate change, which has put a bright light on the importance of forests as our last best hope at mitigating atmospheric CO2 and conferring enormous landscape resilience in a changing climate, you'd think that those two things, putting all this new light, they'd be being like these forestry people were right all along. We, we really, should
0: give them more money.
1: Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and, you know, and like, and no, it didn't. In turn, it, what it turned out is um, we got to, Stop logging on public lands. I'm, I got sued as commissioner. I was personally named in a lawsuit saying we're illegally logging, uh, which is just the science, the lo- settled law of the land and the, you know, economic realities don't, they all say something different, but the reaction to these things is let's, trees are good. Let's leave them alone. And that's fine. If, if you don't have any need for them. So I'm back to forests, need, forests don't need us. We need them. Uh, with one exception, forests do need us when we've gummed them up significantly. Invasive species, all the fire thing. So we do have to kind of get back in there, but generally it begins with, you no, know, we need them, um, and until we confront that massive need and consumption... Um, we're not going to get anywhere in policy and and we need a culture that is of the land from the land. And I feel like this is a real strong parallel with your conservation work and the mission at the meat eater for being realistic about food and about where it comes from and, and honestly uh, acquiring it and in a way that's, you know, the North American model and like, it's a way of conservation. And it's, it's, this is a very parallel story. Real, finally, I'll tell you what, the commissioner of fish and wildlife previously when I was there he was getting a lot of flack from protect our wildlife bills to you, you've written about them, anti trapping, anti hounding, a lot of anti hunting, fishing stuff going on right now in the Northeast. And he was saying, you know, we'd go out and commiserate and have dinner, or beer or something. And, and he'd say, you know, it's over. And i would be like, yeah, it's, it's a drag, man. It's over for you. And he's like, well, you don't, you'd be too comfortable. They're coming your way. Mm. And, and I was like, no, no, people get trees and wood and we use it. And you know what? I think he was right. It's like, it's like, it feels like it's kind of over and maybe we just have to go through this really dark period of disconnection from the land before things are going to really go bad. And then maybe someday we'll get hip to it and come back around.
0: I think that right. there's a, uh, there's a little bit of a mental trap you fall into and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, where I'm comfortable looking at a piece of wildlife habitat. I'm, I'm going to use a tree analogy, which is going to confuse things, but I'm comfortable looking at a piece of wildlife habitat as an apple tree, an an oak, okay? And when you kill a bear, kill a deer, you're picking up acorns. Meaning you've maintained the integrity of the tree. The tree is going to continue to drop acorns. You can use these acorns in a measured way, Um, and the tree stays there. So it's the thing I try to explain to people often about why hunters spend so much time talking about the well-being of habitat conservation minded individuals spend a lot of time talking about the well-being of habitat but they don't spend a lot of time talking about the well-being of an individual deer right the viewed as expendable a product of the bigger thing um but man like I have a place that's that's old growth coastal rainforest okay um, in my yard, so to speak, we have cedars that are, what are they, Seth? Six, seven feet. I don't know. Yeah. Or bigger. diameters yeah. bigger. Nice. I'll shoot all deer in the world. Not all deer in the world, but at a measured pace with giving them time to replace, I'd be comfortable getting deer the rest of my life. I could not, I could not. And this is just me. I'm not condemning someone that does. I personally would not be able to stick a saw into that tree.
1: Right. And I wouldn't die. I
0: don't it. know why. Like, I don't, but I don't know why. It's no, like, because
1: that thing our... has been there since before the country was a country. And that's it. That's the answer. And there are damn few of those. And especially yeah. in association with others in this functional unit, like that's special. And so don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing that we need to just mow down every acre, hilly or flat. No, I get what uh, you're saying, man. We need to have, but we're going to need to meet it. And it's possible. There's this sort of triad model that's been put out. there. I mean, this is years ago. it's actually a professor of wildlife biology at the University of Maine coined this idea of the triad approach to kind of land use that there's intensively managed areas with maybe even clear-cut and plant in his day. Um, and then there's r- wildland reserves. They need to be part of the mix. And then the vast m- space in between is a- an ecological forestry that's, you don't cut all of those, maybe you don't cut any of those. Yeah. And it's de- site-dependent and and um, and it's about natural regeneration and retaining, you know, the great Aldo Leopold, he said, right, the first precaution of intelligent tinkering is to keep every cog and wheel. doesn't mean keep all the trees but keep all the representatives yeah. of the different types and like keep the function uh, alive. So that's what modern forestry is in my mind. It's beautiful and it's needed.
0: Yeah, I'll, just I don't like I don't like where I left my comment because I, I I failed to acknowledge like another part of this being that that as a hunter I can look at the habitat and be the integrity of the habitat will be able to put off game. But I like what you're proposing, that the integrity, if the forest's integrity is kept intact, it'll continue to put off forestry products. Meaning the same way that a deer, you'd be like, well, no, that deer is expendable as long as the the big broad mechanism is capable of making more of them in in, in perpetuity. So like yeah, but like what you're what you're looking at with forest care is is the tree, that tree, it's older than a deer significantly, but those trees can come out and that forest can maintain its integrity and make more. The time scale is very different.
1: My work here is yeah. done.
0: Yeah, the time scale. It won't be ready for harvest in a year, <laughs> but it'll be ready for harvest. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: great stuff. And yeah. there's a lot here.
0: Uh, the book we've been talking about is Woodwise. Woodswise. Woodswise. I looked at that title for a couple minutes trying to figure out if it should have been punctuated differently or anything, awesome. but I think you nailed it. All right, man. Excellent. Part of me wanted to put like a uh,
1: the apostrophe. Know, put an apostrophe, a but possessive. it would have, it would have yeah. been an imposter. Yeah.
0: It would have been an imposter apostrophe. Woodswise, Wise, an exploration of forests and forestry by Michael Snyder.
1: Can you buy this on Amazon and all that kind of place? You sure can. We like to support local bookstores. No, but yeah, I don't, ask. but you know, I'm just being real. Listen, yeah, me, no, too. me too. Me yep. too. But
0: I know that some people...
1: Yeah, it's way easier. Don't
0: have access to it, and they're not. You know what I mean.
1: And I hope people will will look it up. We we got people
0: to listen to the show in interior Alaska. It's like this is not. It's just not an option for them.
1: God bless them. And uh, yes, it is available on Amazon. And by all uh, means,
0: if you if you got a way to do it, um, if you got a way to do it, uh, help out local bookstores because you can go down there and find books you wouldn't know about, and it's great. But I'm like I said, yeah. um, I also want people just to read.
1: Exactly. Remember, if, they say, like, it takes. remember they used to say, Remember, I used to say, "Like uh, you got to think out of the box." I think we need to lower. Like, I think we just need to think. It Doesn't really matter <laughs> where, you're, where you're are right. you thinking. I uh, like. Let's not get like. Let's. We'll get to that. Like, where are you thinking? Like, let just the bar so solo. Let's just. Can we get some thinking going on?
0: Uh, it's a lot of fun. Woods wise, an exploration of forest and forestry. Michael Snyder. Michael, thanks for coming on the show, man.
1: My pleasure. Really thanks for having it. me. Thanks. Nice with you. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Whoa.
4: done beat this damn horse to death, so take your new one and ride on. We done beat this damn horse to death,
0: so take your new one
4: and ride on.
0: Hey, guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some meat-eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls, or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. i just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.